welcome to I Hope I Can Make It Through, a Degrassi Viewing Podcast. I'm your veteran, Donnie. I'm your exasperated neophyte, Frank. And today we're going to be taking a look at Degrassi, The Next Generation, Season 3, Episode 10, Never Gonna Give You Up. Now to help us through this, this story, this journey, um, we... I was going to call it a tale of woe, but that's too Romeo and Juliet, because there's no love in this no, story. No, there's only... Well, there's no love in Romeo and Juliet either, but... No, but that's a different topic. <laughs> I don't even know if Quan would like that analysis or not. <laughs> I don't know, because she loves Shakespeare so much. Anyway, to help us through this, this episode, we actually have two guests. First guest is somebody um, who knows a lot about public health, though I don't know how much is going to help during this one. Probably uh, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> but um, they are definitely... Actually, that's both... Wait! Oh my god, that's I'm both of you. <laughs> hey, are, are you into public health too? <laughs> yes! Oh, that's, that's really cool. Hey there, friend. <laughs> um, <laughs> this was a useless introduction. Shit, I forgot! <laughs> one of um, them... I can introduce myself if that helps no no i got this i got this okay <laughs> one of our guests is in person and per- interested in pursuing public health um it is our lovely guest mars hi hello thank you for that introduction <laughs> you're very welcome i was so disoriented for a second when i realized that this applied to both of you um our other guest is coming in from canada which is always very exciting on the show as this is a canadian program and we <laughs> are just two fools based out of New Jersey, um, is our buddy Finch. Hey there. So my question to both of you, um, we'll start with, I don't know, we'll start with Mars just because you're right next to me. Um, what is your relationship with Degrassi before this point? I had seen one episode, and I think it was prom or graduation. Maybe it was both in the same episode. <laughs> so I have no relationship, really. <laughs> I don't even know if it was the same characters. <laughs> I don't know if this works like skins where like there's different characters every season or something. It it's not as structured as skins, but there is eventually a point where like there's like a new crew that gets introduced. Okay. So like that's not like a wrong thing to kind of it just looked like that was the format. <laughs> no, that's not a wrong take on it. I would, um I would call that giving a brief handshake at a party. <laughs> <laughs> Like, were you even, like, was it on TV, or was it, like, a friend had it on or anything? I was waiting to play Smash, but my friend wanted to finish the Degrassi episode, so I'm like, oh okay, God. I'll just watch this while we wait so we can play Smash. <laughs> Fabulous. <laughs> and Finch, how about you? Oh, boy, Donnie, Frank, Mars, um, let me tell you, Degrassi is kind of a big deal here. <laughs> you don't say. <laughs> this is neither here nor there and maybe you want a content warning this for for drug references but there is a um a head shop in my neighborhood called degrassi high (laughs) (laughs) that i will send you a photo of pointed out someone was really proud of themselves when they came up with that one um but to answer your question, um, yeah, I did not watch Degrassi during its original run, or at least I did not watch Next Generation. My little sister did, so I got a lot of that secondhand. I do very briefly have some Degrassi Canada viewing numbers for season three, if that's not too nerdy. No, it is not. Please, let her rip. 
Okay, so season three, the one we're watching now, most watched domestic drama, and then this is the part that kills me, among adults aged 18 to 49 that year in Canada. Wow. Um, (laughs) This was beating out both The O.C. and One Tree Hill, which, to my understanding, were pretty big hits. (laughs) I mean, to be fair, I watched The O.C. for Teen Girl Talk. There's not a lot there. But at the time, I remember watching... I remember watching... I didn't start watching The O.C. I watched The O.C. for two seconds, and it was because I was told there were gay characters in it. <laughs> you were woefully misled. There were two girls that got together, but, like, uh, it was like a flash-in-the-pan type deal. Sadly, I know exactly what we were talking about. It was an Olivia Wilde cameo. Yes, yes, it was! Olivia oh. Wilde! Yeah. He was oh. the hot oh. tender. Yeah. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. Thank you, Finch, for validating me. <laughs> um, yeah, so... And I think this is just has a lot to do with Canadian content laws, where by law, a lot of Canadian television broadcasters has to show a certain amount of Canadian content. So shows like Degrassi are usually put front and center so that they can satisfy that quota. But I think it was like a bona fide hit in Canada. It sounds like it, it was. And like, because like, it's like when you read, I think what's very telling about the, the fame of Degrassi is the fact that like the actors in The Next Generation talked about watching the original episodes in health class. And I feel like that yes. really sets kind of the tone of how influential this thing was. Um, I want to get it. There's a book that's like a collection of essays about the impacts of Degrassi. Um, and in, in terms of, like, media and education and stuff like that, um, I think it's more focused on, like, the original Degrassi's impact, but I really want to get a copy and, like, flip through some of the essays of it, because it sounds interesting. Yeah, Yeah, it's, like, some cool media analysis, because I feel like there is something to be said about it. Good or bad, there's something to be said. And, I mean, I think that's what you're doing here with this podcast. Aw, thanks, Finch. <laughs> um, but let's get started. Before we get too far into this episode, let's stick on some content warnings. Um, this episode, specifically the A-plot, features a lot of discussion and portrayal of intimate partner violence. So there's emotional abuse. There is physical abuse that is being portrayed within the episode. Uh, there's also moments of racism, ableism, and sexual harassment during the episode. As always, check the description at the bottom where we have time-stamped these moments so that you are aware, and if you need to skip that content, you can do so. Um, But before we get too far into the episode, we invite our guests to introduce our A-plot and our B-plot very briefly. Um, And because we have two guests, let's split it up. So Finch, if you could please introduce our A-plot. It would be my pleasure. Awesome. Um, Or not, to be honest. This (laughs) A-plot was pretty grim. Yeah. Sorry, guys. (laughs) It was. Um, Yeah, so this A-plot focused mostly around Rick and Terry, and in particular... Rick and Terry in the context of them performing in some sort of drama class exercise. Um, Much more so the immediately concerning relationship dynamic between the two of them and how that escalates throughout the episode. Um, We see a lot of Rick's behavior and we see a lot of Terry's response to that behavior, for better or for worse. And... Um, honestly, to the credit of the show, we see a lot of their friends reacting, and I was I was surprised and impressed with how that came across. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I hope that gives a 
decent summary without giving it away. This is the crux of the intimate partner violence, the emotional manipulation. It's, it's, it, it was a hard watch for me. It which was. was a little surprising, um, given that it's, you know, a show for youth. Yeah. But not unimportant to talk I agree wholeheartedly. Um, on the flip side, Mars, if you'd like to introduce our B-plot... Yeah, um, can you just remind me of the names? I know there's... No, no, try your best with the okay, names, and fine. I will correct you as you go. <laughs> so, there's this girl, and she has a boyfriend, and there's this guy named... Not, uh, it's JT. Okay! Because uh, he's not Justin Timberlake, but it's fine. Um, JT looks really, really annoying. Um... <laughs> But, anyways, the boyfriend's like, hey, don't talk to my girlfriend. And the boy's like, nah, I'm gonna keep talking to your girlfriend. And, uh, he's like, they basically JT and this boyfriend keep, like, pranking each other. Um, because, you know, I don't know, they have nothing better to do with their lives. Um, and, and like, I guess, like, the girlfriend's just on the side, kind of like, haha, that's funny. Yeah, like, she like, is. in a way, it kind of relates to, like, the main themes of, um, I guess, like, uh, ab- ab- abuse, because, like, he's trying to control who she, the boyfriend's trying to control who the girl can be friends with, but yeah. it's, like, it's funny, it's, like, ha ha, he he, ho ho, ha ha, okay. Honestly, <laughs> that was good. Thank you. These are both good in unique ways, and I appreciate Appreciate it. Uh, so originally, this episode was titled "Wild Boys." Oh, like the Duran Duran song? I guess. Oh, that's ugly. Yep. Oh, that's real ugly. I mean, time has only changed this. Has only made this episode's title inappropriate because of the brick rolling, but. <laughs> Calling this episode Wild Boys is just a fucking nightmare. Yeah, no. Well, that's like two episodes in a row the title was changed. Cause, or the next episode, Holiday, also had its one cha- had it changed. Yeah. Um, we recorded out of order. So we're, we're like, Frank and I are like, oh, we're like in, we're straddling a line between two spaces right now. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're just... managing it the best we can. Yeah. I'm sorry? We are managing as best we can. It's true. Yeah, like this... <laughs> the last two episodes were just this episode and the other episodes were just nightmares. They are, but let's get to this nightmare. Let's start with our B plot. <laughs> let's turn into the store. Yeah, let's just go because we have to because we start we, with the B plot. Yes. Can you at least tell me their names? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I will right now. So, um, we have the episode, the B plot at least, open up with Spinner. Who is talking uh, to his buddy, Craig, about his current job at The Dot, um, which is the now local hangout, which has been kind of picking up some steam in terms of Degrassi subculture um, during this season. Um, And Spinner's talking about how hard it is, which is true, being working in, you know, the food service industry. Um, However, Spinner is apparently screwing up very badly because Craig pointed out an Maybe I wrote this out of order. He confused a hamburger for a ham sandwich. Yep. <laughs> yep. Wait. He confused... He's... The guy asked for a ham sandwich, but he gave him a hamburger. Okay, okay. I remember because I thought that was really funny. <laughs> <laughs> what did 
But like, why do you go to a restaurant to order a fucking ham sandwich? Right? Like, why don't you just go to a deli if you want to? Yeah. Well, I guess your damn fault, buddy. Like, these are just like sixteen-year-olds. Like a Cuban, you know? Like that yeah, is, yeah. That, but that's like more. Yeah, like that's Sorry. something. No, no, I don't blame you because, like, I too wonder who this fucker is. It's just like. <laughs> Hey, Spinner was doing this customer a favor. Yeah, really. He's like, mm, I think I can do better than this. Look, I'm looking in your eyes, bro. You want a hamburger? Yeah, honestly, Spinner would do that, too. and I would believe that. It would be like, just like he just constantly just gives people what he thinks they want. <laughs> um, I'd go to that restaurant. And right. if, like the waiter, you're at the was mercy like, of a 16 year old. Well, whoever the waiter is is like. No, there's no menus here. We determine what you eat. But I have a, I have allergic to this. It's like no, no, no. I I determine what you eat. <laughs> and they, they just lean down, making like really intense eye contact for right? like two seconds. They're like Wal- Waldorf salad. I'm like, how did you know? <laughs> but um. But, and then they like just like put a finger on your forehead, and then like 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 you're allergic to peanuts. Like what? <laughs> Wait, that's kind of like the, the one JoJo episode where, like, he, like, had to, like, lick the guy's sweat to know if yes, he was lying. Yes, <laughs> yes, It is a very, uh, like, a Bruno kind of problem-solving type of situation. Um, so, as they're chatting about this, they're kind of walking through the hall, and they spot JT and Paige chatting. Um, now, Spinner's very annoyed, as we know. Spinner and Paige are in a deeply committed relationship. Um, and Craig just doesn't understand why Paige wants JT around. Now, we as the... Be- <laughs> Craig speaks for us all. <laughs> Finally, Craig is speaking for me again. Um, he spinners her pages. Nice. <laughs> I really need to go get water. <laughs> but, um, now, now, as viewers, at least viewers who have watched episodes back to back and back... Frank and I are a little more sympathetic to the Paige-JT dynamic because we understand that JT has been around for Paige and able to, you know, help her out and support her during a very difficult time after her own sexual assault. Um, Now, Spinner, though, he was not terrible after that moment either, obviously, still is prone to jealousy because he is a foolish little boy um, and is not appreciative of this friendship at all. Um, and, but Spinner also does explain it to Craig. He's like, yeah, well, you know, JT is here because Paige went through a rough time. Um, but he says, and it's like she owes him something. It's kind of the way that he characterizes this relationship. So. Gross. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's a shame because it's one of those things that kind of reiterate. It's, it's weird because Paige and Spinner to a certain extent, seem to, like, like each other and enjoy each other, but that really reads to me how little Spinner listens <laughs> or, like, observes or, you know, does anything that's actually, like, introspective within the context of his relationship with her. Yeah. So. Can I... Please. Uh, I was just... Oh, yeah, sorry, I don't want to interrupt. Um, what I was going to say was... <laughs> the, the part of this conversation was so mind-boggling to me is that Craig makes some, like... Some snarky comment about, I see why JT wants to be around Paige, but I don't see why Paige wants to be around JT. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and, then, and then Spinner just, like, actually very articulately explains. I, like, I could have done word for word because I was so impressed. It was, she had a hard time last year, and JT was there for her, dot, dot, dot. So she feels like she owes him. And it's like, oh, buddy, you were so close to understanding. 
<laughs> like genuine friendship and you missed the mark. <laughs> I, it kind of sums up Spinner as a character, but I think it also does kind of complement at least what we saw last season with him processing that stuff where he was like, he, and I feel like with Spinner, it's like, it's always almost there. And I feel like when, yeah. when he's trying to do the right thing, he's always almost there. He's not quite. He always misses the mark. And when he's a shithead, he's a shithead. And, and that happens a lot. But, like, when he's trying to do right, you see the gears turning. They're just not quite getting where he needs to be yet. And that's kind of the thing. And I feel like that's probably why a lot of people end up liking Spinner and end up not really hating Spinner at the end of it all. Because, like, you can see that there is this sometimes these brief flashes of sincerity that you want to yeah. see him do the right thing. He doesn't always. Usually doesn't. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, it's giving somebody credit for the intent rather than the end result. Exactly. And I think that's really what it is. It, it's, 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 he can get there. I think it's, he's a, the type of kid where you remember, you become viscerally aware that this is a teenager. And it's like, you can, he can get there, but it's going to take a couple of years and it's going to probably take him getting out of this town and it's going to take him like actually meeting people that aren't within this little bubble that he is in. Yeah. Yeah. Well, now that we we're on this, it's going to take like him also hanging out with people who aren't as toxic as most of his friends currently are. It's true because I feel like Craig and and Spinner in particular are this really toxic feedback loop of just these two boys behaving badly right now, and you can kind of see because I feel like they both bring out the worst in them, much like how Spinner and Jimmy brought out the worst in each other a lot. Mm. We're really seeing it here, and I feel like a lot of it is kind of encapsulated in. Craig's next line, which is, like, he says to Spinner, like, it's within Spinner's rights, basically, to kick JT to the curb as Paige's boyfriend. Yes, this definitely felt like <laughs> teenage boy culture at its most. Yeah, yeah, there's a hive mind that really develops. It's, like, and it's weird because it's, like, almost like whenever these boys are in Spinner's orbit, they become these these monsters basically it's the power it's the power of his stand it makes people dumber when they're either on them jesus (laughs) (laughs) but yes this must be the work of an enemy stand (laughs) right or high school or high school yeah but like there's this like kind of mob mentality that but there is a mob mentality that develops this must be the work of an enemy high school (laughs) right degrassi is an enemy high school degrassi community school is the enemy school (laughs) Um, (laughs) but, um, so, so Spinner then decides to take Craig's advice literally and toss (laughs) Jay-Z physically. DJ Jazzy Jeff style. Yeah, like, he's just like, yeah, that's reasonable. Um, and JT responds also in a way that's reasonable to him by just mimicking Spinner for, like, an extended period of time. Fuck! But, like, that's how All he... these spice. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, 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 that was perfect. I, but, yeah, like, that's the thing. It's just, like, it, it, it is in that way. And, like, the thing is, it's, like, it's not even just, like, like, you know, you say something and then someone says it with the same energy. Like, he was then, like, putting on voices in the process and, like, it's just irritating. <laughs> it's such a m- immature move. Like, it's so, like, ugh. Like, I was like, I'm on JT's side and then I'm like... I'm like, not. <laughs> he did, no, I'm still on his side because this is gross, but, like, 
It's still irritating. I'm, I'm just, uh, I'm just like annoyed by Spinner because he's like, oh, you know that drives me crazy. Like, control yourself. Like, like you have self control. I don't know. This is my first time watching. I don't know if he has self control. He's like, he sounds like he's really impulsive, but it's like, Spinner, chill out. Like fucking, like it's. Can I, can I curse on this? Oh I'm yeah, sorry. no, that's cool. Oh, okay. <laughs> like I don't know. Take a chill pill. Like he's making funny leap. Like just walk away or like. Don't pay him attention because he knows it pisses you off. He's going to keep doing it. He's like a little brother. That's what they do. They just piss you off. <laughs> it, Spinner, I'm trying to think of some of Spinner's greatest hits. Uh, or <laughs> Like physically? <laughs> Sorry. He hasn't actually punched anyone. The only person who got so in a fight so far is Drake. <laughs> So he just gives empty threats. Basically, like, right. when he's just, it, like, it's kind of funny when he's just empty menacing people. Like, he'll just, like, hang out in the background. <laughs> but, um, yeah, he wants, when he thought JT and Toby, I'm not sure we see Toby in this episode, were trying to pressure his little sister into having sex, because they found condoms in JT's locker, or Toby's lo- JT and Toby's locker, he then tied up JT and put condoms on his hands and feet. <laughs> That's disgusting. Yeah, it sucked. <laughs> a lot of what, a lot of what Spinner does suck. Um, uh, Finch, you got any opinions on this? Uh, yeah. Well, I, I think Mars touched on it earlier. It was kind of weird to see that the B plot was sort of the comedy plot, and the A plot was the, like serious business after school special plot when. Especially, like, in this first scene. I feel like as the show progresses, like, the hijinks ensues, and it's it's a little less concerning. But just the initial, like, the initial possessiveness, and then, like, the physicality of Spinner, like, pushing JT in a locker, while Paige just sort of, like, watches on, like, this is acceptable behavior, was jarring. <laughs> I th- it's weird that, like, I feel like this is the same time period as Daria, and Daria, yeah. Daria had the same thing with Quinn, who just loved to watch men fight for her. Yes. <laughs> I feel like it's a little bit of Quinn Morgendorfer in Paige. Well, there's there's a lot of Quinn Morgendorfer in Paige. I think that's a really astute comparison, for sure. <laughs> I also think, like, at, maybe at that time, I don't know, I think Reese, more recently it's been like, okay, boys will be boys is not an acceptable excuse. I don't know if that was the case then, where it's like, boys will be boys. No, you can't make excuses, but I think people are just like, oh, they're just roughhousing, oh, they're just, you know, being themselves, oh, it's just uh, testosterone, we're big, tough guys, we're gonna punch each other, and like, throw each other in lockers, and haha. Is that what they do? I-, <laughs> I mean, it's not what I did, but, well, oh god, I just not all men this fuck. <laughs> 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 no, no, it's 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 quite frank. It's it's very reassuring to hear that because I, I, I'm just watching this and I'm thinking like, no, I've met a lot of sweet teen boys in my lifetime. <laughs> These two characters do not epitomize that, unfortunately. But I've also met a lot of characters, not characters, people that are like those characters. You know, that are just like constantly trying to be really tough or be really aggressive or really annoying, like JT. Because, wow, he was annoying. 
there, there was like this one kid on my bus who really liked to put me in headlocks because he was shorter than me um, and was very aggressive about it. And I didn't fight. Well, the first time he did it, he like there was kids fighting in the back of the bus um, <laughs> because that's the kind of high school I went to. And like... He's like, let's fight the way they do. And he, like, jumped on me. I guess he wanted to roughhouse or something. But he, like, put me in a headlock. And I, it was very hard to breathe, obviously. And, well, no, like, I was bigger and stronger. And <laughs> I was able to, like, get my hand on his face and, like, hold his, like, wrist. And I, like, remember this wave of aggression coming through me. Because, like, I was sitting in the, the chair by the wheel, and, like, I was just like, like, you know, so there's that wheel cover thing, and it's like, I could just hit his head against us for a while and not feel anything. And then my, my body was like, no, that is wrong, that is way too much, so I just let him go, and then he put me in a headlock, and then did that for, like, the next two weeks. That's so. really annoying. Yeah, no, it sucked. Like, my neck really hurt. I'm sorry <laughs> like, that happened. Yeah, he eventually, like, grew a few feet, and I, I, like, he stopped being so aggressive. I mean, this was seventh grade, so, like, and he just kind of sucked. <laughs> like, he kind of sucked for a while, but he eventually <laughs> became an okay dude. But, um, but yeah, but, like, that's the thing, you know, when you're growing up in, like, this kind of, I guess any kind of school, like, these dudes need to, like, posture and, like, oh, well, this is my territory and this is what I do. And, like, you're just, like, and, like, by, like, ninth grade, I was, like, I'm just so over this. I can't be bothered. Just don't bother me. I'm just going to keep going through my life. <laughs> but, but I think that's also the thing is, like, Spinner is much larger than JT, so it's easy for him to like push, want to push JT around because it's not JT's not a viable threat to Spinner. So that's true. Um, you know the bully's not going to go for somebody who could be his equal. Um, oh, she wants up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Frank. At this point, I think it, unless Mars can speak to this, but you would be the expert. Having not seen many episodes, my take <laughs> from this was sort of like JT is a little scrawny. <laughs> But he makes up it like it clearly antagonizing others or responding the way that he does is is clearly like his coping when responding with brawn isn't an option. Yeah, um, and, like doesn't excuse it. Certainly doesn't make it any less insufferable. Yeah, like he's because like of the two, like I feel like his pranks are more effective. To, like, yes. reach his, his means, or to reach his ends, I should say. <laughs> yeah, well, the kind of kid, like, I feel like I knew a couple kids like this in high school where pretty effectively, like, they avoided any sort of, like, any sort of, like, harassment because they were the class clown. Yeah. And they, they could make up for maybe being smaller than the other kids because... They, they could be charming and they could be funny and they could, like, make a spectacle and that was, like that in and of itself sort of, like, earned them some respect. And I, I kind of get that vibe from JT, but I could be wrong. Yeah. Um, so, ah, I'm 
Lost about Donnie's leadership. Okay, um, time to step up. <laughs> so, um, I forget exactly what happened. It was it's been a bit since I saw this episode. Um, do you want to talk about the A plot, or do you want to no, keep talking about the B plot? We'll keep talking about the B plot. We okay. we finish that out, then we move on to the A plot. Okay. Um, I like it when he pulled the other guy's pants off. Yeah. So <laughs> this begins. The pranking war between JT and Spinner. And, like... Oh, God. JT, like... I, I forget, does this happen immediately? Where... Yeah, I think so. I, I can jump in here if you want chronology. Yes, thank you. Okay, so... First, first in the order of things is... Well, JT promises to Paige that he'll try some male bonding. Or, sorry, Craig. No, Spinner. Wow. Is there? No. Yeah, yeah. It's Spinner. Sorry. The names. The names of these kids. Spinner, Pump, Paige, this, they're, they're sort of like, their scuffle ends. Paige, Cash, just going to say, Paige gives Spinner a hard time in regards to beating up on JT. Spinner promises that he's going to bond with JT. I think the phrase is specifically male bonding. And, and you just know that, like, some some B plot shenanigans are going to happen after that. Yeah. So I think the first the first prank war act is um, Spinner leaving a love letter for the principal <laughs> on JT's behalf. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and like Finch comes up and is just like, "This is unacceptable. You should not be sending me love letters." <laughs> it was. It was. It was honestly. I, I was like, this this teacher is handling handling this fairly well. All things, yeah. So it starts with the love letter. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, and then his locker. Oh yeah. His locker has pictures of the principal or whatever. The I don't know what the. He's, he's the. He's the yeah. <laughs> radish. Whatever. <laughs> um. Well, yeah. JT's like this doesn't make any sense. Opens up his locker and it's just lined with radish pictures, which all things considered. Pretty tall task in two thousand three. <laughs> like yeah, like these are color photos. <laughs> color photos, like he must have taken pictures of Radish going about his day, <laughs> Go, like on a digital camera. Well, I guess that makes sense. Craig has a digital camera. Then gone to the lab, printed them out, and then posted them in JT and Toby's locker. And I guess bribed Toby not to tell. I. I thought the pictures were like black and white headshots. I don't know. Maybe I wasn't paying attention. I imagine like he got it from like the book, like a school book, and, yeah, makes- you know, graduating class, and just scanned it, made it bigger, and then print it. I don't know. Yeah. I have no. I don't watch this show. <laughs> it it definitely struck me as a lot of initiative on Spinner's part. Yeah. <laughs> to be a dick. <laughs> he like got into the kid's locker. <laughs> yeah. 100%. Um, so yeah, that was a, that was a, quite the two-tier prank there. Did, did you all have locks on your lockers when you were in high school? High school, yes. Nice. Yeah, I did, sorry. I was zoned out. <laughs> but funny. like, the lock, we like were given a combo. Like, the locks were like, stuck to the lockers. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, we did, like, we didn't. I guess that also speaks to the high school I went to, but I also never kept anything in my locker worth stealing, because I'm just like, 
How did he get that locker combo? <laughs> did he? Yeah. I... Oh, no, sorry. Go ahead. I feel like Spinner makes some comment at some point in this episode about, like, haha, better keep your locker locked. <laughs> I think that's the explanation we're given. But, like, I wouldn't pass Spinner to have some sort of, like, talented espionage skills that we're not we're not aware of. He's pretty crafty if he needs to be. It might have also just been threaten Toby, get combo, move on. <laughs> or he could have had someone watching him while he was putting in his combo. I, I like I have a lock for my locker for a lock at the gym and I'm just like ugh, fucking remembering combinations is beyond me. I'm just gonna get a key. <laughs> um yeah, so then, like, Spinner walks by, says something, like, snarky to JT. Do you remember what that was, Finch or Mars? <laughs> no. I think he, like, does, doesn't does he, like, try to say no more pranks? No, wait, that's what the pants. Nah. No. Yeah, maybe that's when he said no more pranks. No, I have no idea. <laughs> Finch? I, I, I took some notes. Though the notes, in retrospect, aren't super helpful. I just wrote down, Spinner threatens JT some more. Yawn. <laughs> oh, the farts! Wait, well, yeah, that's coming up. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I, I'm pretty <laughs> sure this is where, like, Spinner's like, oh, we got him, they're walking away. And then JT just runs by and pants his head. Yeah. Because, <laughs> you know, Spinner's wearing tearaway pants. <laughs> like, does he play basketball? <laughs> no. This was... Yep. Truly one of the highlights of this episode was the improbable pants physics. <laughs> <laughs> the JT is able to, running through the hallway, grab Spinner's pants, and it really did seem to me like he was wearing, like, jeans and a belt. But, like, <laughs> no, through the, uh, the magic of Degrassi, those pants are gone. <laughs> like, it just reminds me of that episode of Rest of the Moment where, um... Job's just like like I still I wear tearaway I wore tearaway pants when I was a stripper and like his brother's like can you wear stripper clothes you're not a stripper he just like rips them off it's like you tell me because <laughs> like I don't remember pants that you had to button down the side when I was growing up it was like jeans jenkos sweatpants but I don't remember like all right give me those pants that look super complicated. <laughs> I was um, at a thrift store a few weeks ago, and I saw that they had tearaway Adidas pants, and like, but they were like for someone that's like six feet tall, and I'm like five, five. I'm like five two, um, <laughs> but I'm like I need these. <laughs> They're tearaway pants. Like, how cool would that be? Just like, bam off, you know? Like that's just that concept. It's I want it. I'm I home. want it. <laughs> I'm home for the day. Put on my pants, we're done. I'll see you in the morning. But if you, like, accidentally, like, get hooked onto something, <laughs> and you're in public. <laughs> um, or JT just comes running by. <laughs> um, yes. Do we have ruled out that JT is a magician of some kind? Is magic a possibility here? God, I wish... <laughs> is JT like a goblin? <laughs> yes. Know, he kind of looks like the kid from Boy Meets World, and I don't know if it's the same person. It's not. <laughs> Whoops. What? See, he is a magician. He has 
<laughs> He's a shapeshifter. He's a shifter. <laughs> um. You know who I'm talking about, though, from Boy Meets World? Corey? Yeah, maybe. No. I don't know. There's... Shia LaBeouf. <laughs> <laughs> that, I, I think he was on Steven... Steven Stevens. Thank you. Oh, that's it. Oh, yeah. I, 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 <laughs> I don't know. I was like, Steven to Steven. I was like, that doesn't sound right. <laughs> Steven cross Steven. One of those shows that were like live action and during that time. Uh, Disney Channel. Yeah, yeah something like that. <laughs> yes. That was a Disney Channel classic. Yeah, having, having a younger sibling really... Uh, kept me up to date on what was going on at that time on the Disney Channel. Yeah. Um, so that leads... Uh, so this all leads us to our next prank, which is um, the fart machine. <laughs> which I remember... I like This actually struck a chord for me, because I remember getting these like novelty catalogs, or my mom did. Like We bought something from somewhere, and they just kept sending this stupid catalog... With like fart machine to impress your friends. I'm like, this is things like a waste of money. <laughs> It'd be like that, like lava lamps, like all this crap nobody could ever possibly need. <laughs> Though I did eventually, you know, once I moved out, I did buy a lava lamp. And that was like how I felt like I was a true adult because my mom would never let me have a lava lamp even when I was 18 years old. <laughs> She's like, they're dangerous. Fire hazard? <laughs> I don't know. Um, but she also grew up in the 60s, so maybe she just had, like, a bo- like a boyfriend or like who just turned out wrong. It's like, I blame it on that lava lamp. <laughs> lava lamp would turn you to drugs. I get it. Yeah. Um, so, like, you know, JT also has a crush on Manny. They s- convince Manny to go talk to JT, and then, like... They keep hitting the button on the fart machine, and Manny gets way more offended than I think anybody should <laughs> when there's farts around. Usually I laugh. It's like, ah, oh, you ate too many beans. Ha <laughs> <laughs> I usually yeah, just... You... Go on. I was going to say, you hope that like, Manny would, obviously for the sake of the episode, it's not going to happen like this, but you'd hope that she'd react with some humor or perhaps some like concern for JT's health, <laughs> but... She is truly offended by the goings-on. Yeah, she, so she goes storming off, and just, yeah, like, it's not like anybody can force that to keep happening. (laughs) Such a low, lazy way to do this. Um, so they find, uh, JT finds the farm machine, Craig and Spinner are having a good laugh about the whole thing. Um, and that, I think this leads us to JT just being the absolute worst. Yeah, he, uh, he visits Spinner at his job and is really annoying about, like, the sandwich that he wants, the burger. I think he ordered a burger. Yeah. He's like, oh, I asked for horse radish, and I think he says corn radish. Corn radish. I don't. I don't. Who puts radish on their burgers? Uh, oh, it's corn relish. 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 I don't know. Um, and yeah, uh, 
he starts doing the, uh, Spinner gets pissed off, and JT starts, like, mimicking him again, and then Spinner, like, loses it and, like, grabs him in front of everyone in the restaurant, and, uh, obviously his boss sees this, and then I guess there's, like, a cutscene to something else, basically assuming, like, um, that Spinner got spoken to. Later on, we find out that he's demoted to busboy, I think. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, no, he's... The dish boy? Yeah, he's been... <laughs> my good, good dish boy. <laughs> <laughs> um, he's been demoted back down to dishwasher. Dishwasher. So, which pays less and, you know, is not a fun job. Um, which... Uh, I, like, I didn't say, like, I was enjoying these two going at it, because it was just the dumbest, worst pranks. But, like, this is a low... <laughs> this is low. Like, this is a super not great thing to do. Um, and once again, uh, JT doesn't get called out for this nonsense. Like, it's been a running thing through this whole show. JT just is untouchable. Like, nobody's going to, like, take him to task for all the dumb shit he says or the dumb things he does. And it just sucks, because, like, this isn't something you do at somebody's job. Like. It, it clearly indicates a, I mean, again, not really knowing JT's backstory, but that kind of behavior just so clearly shows, like, you're a teenager who doesn't understand what it's like to have to have a part-time job. Like, this is still a joke to you? Yeah. Because I don't think we see him doing... But he, he mentions that his parents... I think at one point he mentions his parents don't have... No. Um, he mentions his mom is super strict. Okay. But I don't think there's ever, ever any mention of, like, him not having, like, means or anything. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, that's a, like, <laughs> that's a great point, because it's just like, <laughs> I, I hated when my friends would come, come into the pharmacy I worked at, because, because, uh. like, they, they would make a mess and do, like, all this other shit, I'm like, guys, this is important to me, I need this job, because my parents are not going to pay for anything, yeah. so... Um, and I, I did have one guy, uh, I only knew him very briefly, uh, or I knew him only at high school, like, we never hung out, and he came in and he wanted a $25 bottle of calcium supplements, like, I think it was for, like, weightlifting or something, like, priced down to, like, $2, and he's just like, come on, man, do this for me. I was like, no, like I one, I can't do this, and two, I don't want to. He's like, come on, be a friend. I just and I remember openly <laughs> saying, like, we're not friends. <laughs> like I don't care for you. Like I'm not doing this. Um, but yeah, and uh, especially for like Spinner, who's had so many problems, so much, so many problems, so much problems. So many problems with money and, like, not having enough. It just sucks. And 
JT is just bothering the shit out of me this whole episode because he decided to do this. And, but also, where's Paige? Yeah. <laughs> Good question. <laughs> Not that it's her responsibility to keep him in check, but at the same time, it's like, oh boy, if you just said something, maybe you could moderate their behavior. I don't know. Is that asking too much of Paige? Is that on. Well, I mean, like, Paige keeps. We've had this discussion before where, like, Paige, um,. One of uh, Spinner's many problems is his homophobia. And Paige has, like, a gay brother. And I'm just like, Paige, you're gonna step in and, like... Because this is... Like, if he's doing this to Marco, like, what does he then think about Dylan? Like, you know... It's... But yeah, but no, you're right. It's like, it's not Paige's responsibility to, like... Uh, it's not Paige's responsibility to make these boys grow up, but... Stop hanging out with them. Start. She should stop hanging out with them and start hanging out with, like, Ellie and Ashley. Yeah, you'd really hope that, like, if anything, like, this behavior would be a wake-up call and Paige would be like, oh, wow, these, like, two people in my life kind of dipshits <laughs> maybe I should wait a couple of years before we're close again that's not how Degrassi works I realize but dare to dream I think it's also not how high school works like I think that's been yeah. always our comeback point of just like like eh, I find this person cute so I can excuse some stuff um like, somebody called me picky when I was describing my dating process, and I was just like, I'm older now. I don't have the time for, like, dating somebody who's not, you know, up to snuff. Yeah, of course. Like, you don't know. You're an adult. You you don't... It's, it's not... It's no one's responsibility to have to educate their partner, and you shouldn't be given a hard time because that's not the kind of emotional labor you feel capable of doing or want to do in an adult relationship yeah so but finally i think Paige does step in finally and just has to reassure spinner's very fragile ego that no i care about you most of all you should stop doing this nonsense and um and yeah um yeah if there was i mean couple of unifying themes in this episode but catering to fragile male ego was a, a strong one that i picked up on yeah and, um, you know it is what it is i think teenagers are insecure and adults are insecure but yeah it, it was it was a rough one the ever fragile male ego <laughs> i i'm gonna just go on a limb and say it makes a Frequent appearance on this show. Oh, yeah, constantly. <laughs> Near constantly. Um, the plot does wrap up in a truce, though, does it not? Yeah, and like one of those, um, like one of those, like, oh, yeah, truce, but I still, we weren't truced like 30 seconds ago, so there's gonna be some problems. Yeah, and certainly an un- uneasy truce and 
clearly one that seems to be for Paige's sake and no one else. Yeah. Um, so they make like they make up, uh, and then JT scampers away, and then Quan comes up <laughs> because JT wrote a love poem to Quan. <laughs> Which, honestly, JT, once again, you're involving people that don't deserve to be involved in this. <laughs> and yeah, are... <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. No, it's just like, I'm just so sick of Quan like, having to deal with these boys and their bullshit. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, like, even, even in jest, like, that's gotta be a really uncomfortable position to be in as an educator. Yeah. To, like, even have to entertain the idea that it's serious and then have to, like, come up with a plan of action as to how to proceed. I, I'm sure that Donnie can maybe speak to this. Uh, Frank, I don't know, is your is your background working with youth as well? Um, I, I substitute taught for a little while, um, okay. but not long enough to like have any like true experience. Well, some of the girls try to like say I was cute to like make me uncomfortable, and I was just like, that is inappropriate, and we're going to move on, and, like, we're going to stop this. Yeah. Like, um, yeah, no, I, I wanted to be a teacher for a while, but then I subbed, and, uh, I realized, this is not for me. <laughs> <laughs> How is, is, is Degrassi, like, making that a concrete decision, perhaps? I mean, it was already pretty concrete, concrete, let's just put a... <laughs> Let's just put a statue over it that is just me, like, shaking my head no to teaching. Yeah, that's that's perfectly reasonable. Um, do you, like, well, yeah, you said you're in the public health, so I guess not really, this isn't your really, really expertise either. Um, no, no, as I joked to Donnie, my expertise on this show is former teen, current Canadian. <laughs> um, though Donnie and I did meet volunteering at the same summer camp, I was working with 10-year-olds, whereas Donnie was working with actual youth. So it's, yeah. a, it's a different ball game. Yeah. My, um, a friend of mine teaches fifth graders, and they sound lovely compared to, like, seventh and eighth graders. So. Yeah, uh, to be honest, I'm a huge fan. 10 and 11-year-olds, those are some, some sweet humans. It, it's before they start, like, they're old enough to have personalities, but still young enough to not feel like they need to be cool. Yes, that is absolutely true. I, I can, I can I agree with you completely. Yeah. Um, so these nerds feel like they need to be cool, and it just comes off as them being lame. And that ends our B-plot. Um, I'm going to pause the episode here. Hello, I am back. So Mars has disappeared, but I am here. Um, Sorry, I had to step out. Um, As I've mentioned on the podcast, I'm on call. I I work on a sexual assault hotline, um, and I'm on call this tonight, so I had to take a call. Um, So I'm back, um, which is great with this A-plot we're about to get into. But let's just do it. Um, So... um, we open up the A-plot, and we open up the beginning of the episode. Um, our crew of the older set, so, like, the the uh, sophomores, are currently in class in the gym, question mark, but they're doing theater stuff, double question mark. Um, of course, 
Yeah, I was, like, really confused what was going on at first. I was like, are they going to watch a health class movie? It feels like that. Um, Rick is rushing now. As we know, Rick and Terry are together now after the Rose business. Rick is rushing forward and placing his jacket on the ground for Terry to sit. And all my note says right now is, my note under it says, Marco is concerned for the heteros. Because he kind of looks at them and he's kind of like, okay. <laughs> There's some peak eye rolling in this episode. There like, really truly is. Some acting. It it really is. It's delightful. Um, but yeah, I was really confused because I was like, is this English class? Is this a drama class? Is this like a creative writing class? I think well, Quan is there. I think Quan runs the. There's that, there's like three bizarre courses, but she runs English, I'm pretty sure she runs drama, and she also runs that course about wearing hats and talking. Oh, yes, yes, I'm familiar with that one. It's a very interesting elective, very popular. Yeah. But, um, one of those classes is running right now. Um, and Marco reveals that he has, like, he, he's written a play and that, you know, students are going to perform. So, like, they're, they're all, like, working in different groups to do different play productions. And Marco's like, I actually wrote one. And I'm like, my son. My talented son. Um, so they're divvying up who's going to be doing what. The, the crew that we're looking at here is we got Marco, we got Jimmy, we got Hazel, um, we got Terry, we got Rick. Yeah. So, yeah. so Marco opts not to direct. He's like, you know, I wrote this. I don't really want to direct it. Um, and Jimmy's like, well, I can do it. Like, that's fine. I, I think there's, there's a bit of argument between Jimmy and Rick on who's going to run it. Ah, uh, yes. Because Rick gets on his high horse. And the high horse is constructed on the fact that he claims that theater is in his blood. Because his mom did... Something in Stratford. Yes, do you, this is this is a very Canadian reference. Is this something that's familiar to either of you guys? No, please nope. explain. Okay, so this is this is hilarious. Um, <laughs> and so Frank, I I mentioned to Donnie that I did that I had a lot of input, and Donnie's like, no, no, you'll get the Canadian references. Um, and lo and behold, here it comes. So. Stratford, Ontario is this tiny, quaint town in rural Ontario, and it's famous for having what was originally a Shakespeare festival and has now become a six-month theater festival. So huh. it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's like, it's about as big as theater gets in, like, eastern Canada. So it's, it, it would make, it would, it would be a big deal to people up around here. Um, I, <laughs> I, I Googled to see if anyone we knew would be having performed at Stratford and, uh, Dame Maggie Smith, Christopher Plummer and Christopher Walken all appeared at the Stratford Theater Festival. All and, right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> to tie it back to Romeo and Juliet, Christopher Walken was Romeo in Stratford's 1968 performance. Okay. <laughs> Frank was like, what year? <laughs> oh my god, it was so much better than it was recently. <laughs> I, I would have... I would have killed to see a current Christopher Walken play role in Romeo. Like, <laughs> I feel like it's the only way to make me ever watch a production of Romeo and Juliet again would be like to do something preposterous like that. 
Like something that just fucking Never again. Yeah, no, I'm done. I'm done. I'm good. Oh no, I just realized there's a Romeo and Juliet production in later seasons. Fuck. I'm stuck. Um But um Just just put a yeah. just hold up a little put Chris Walken's face on a popsicle stick and just hold it up whenever rope somebody's talking. Oh, please. That's the only way I'm gonna survive that. But um Rick referenced that and thank you. Finch for explaining that, because that literally, I was like, I don't know what the fuck he's talking about. <laughs> I just thought it was a town. <laughs> yeah, I was like, oh, what is it? Okay. I mean, it is, but yeah, it would, it would be, it's, it's got some prestige to it, which is what him bringing it up makes it like 10 times more insufferable. Okay. We all, we all know what, uh, if this was taking place in 2018 or so, we all know what kind of subreddits, uh, Rick would be. Ew, Rick of. would be a Redditor though. Oh. <laughs> Fucking nasty. Um, but yeah, so like, Jimmy's like, mm, let's have you be stage manager. Okay? Okay. Um, and he decides to kind of cast on the spot. Um, there's a female lead, um, and Terry is given it by Jimmy, and she's really excited. <laughs> and she, did Dahlia just? Yep. Oh, Dahlia. She just claw at you? No, um, I did not have my, I was not sitting cross-legged like I normally do. I'm sitting a bit, like, like, splayed, and Daya's like, oh, cool, I'll just jump on this right leg, but there's not enough place for me to sit, so I'm just gonna claw in. Oh, Dahlia. Oh, she's a menace. But, um. so cute. She is very cute and very well-meaning. Um, but... Terry embraces Jimmy, and Rick is very put off by the embrace. Um, and Terry is very um, sensitive to this, because her reaction to it is like, you know, oh, do you want me to, um, to like, work on, you know, work on backstage with you or anything like that? And he's like, no, like, you'll be she perfect. Yes, Finch. She offers... I could be your assistant. Yeah. But yeah, no, she does offer that. That is on the table, apparently. Um, And then, like, you know, he's like, no, you'll be perfect in the role. Then they embrace. Yeah. Uh Uh-oh. Is basically, like, okay, that's your first worrisome thing. Um, and, you know, the thing about this relationship is we have not really seen the relationship in action yet. This is kind of our first time really seeing Terry and Rick interact outside of the initial, I have a crush on you. And it's interesting because the only real, I feel like, tangible potential red flag we had prior to this was the fact that he put, like, four roses on her locker over the course of, like, a week. So we know that, if anything, he is persistent. Yeah, which is... Um, I forget what comedian I saw. Oh, it was Dimitri Martin, um, who said the only, the difference between a stalker and a, uh, secret admirer is stationary. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) Big fucking oof. He's not wrong. No, but, um... We are beginning to see these, 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 at the very least, at least at this point in the episode, we can tell that he's a jealousy streak. Yeah. Um, so we go into the actual play itself, which Marco, I love that you are creative. I don't know what the fuck is happening in this play. 
because it's Marco splayed on the bed, dying, like, in a breathy voice going, Mama, I'm here. Like, high school. Oh, excuse me, it's just Mama. (laughs) No, complete. Mama! Complete high school, like, I I want this play to be deep. What should I write about? Death. I mean, I get it. He, remember, his best friend's Ellie. Like, Marco has, uh, and also he likes, like, Edward Gorey books and shit. Like, he has a dark streak. And Bollywood. And, like, he has a drama streak here. Like. <laughs> you like, he, he still has a dark streak. Yeah. Bollywood films are nothing but darkness. <laughs> no, those are, well. But, you know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> like, he, he has a flair for the dramatics and likes dark, edgy shit also. Like, he just doesn't look as into the edgy shit as Ellie does. Um, but he's, like, dying on a bed, and Terry kind of awkwardly comes over. Like, she has to, basically, she has to, like, enter the scene. She has to say, yes, son, I'm here, and then, like, go toward him. And that's, like, what we can tell from this very brief scene is is what she has to do. But she's, like, very uncomfortable. Yeah. Understandably so. It's not easy to just suddenly be on stage. Yeah. And from what we can tell, Terry is somebody who, who has had a tendency of hiding behind her friends and things like that. So kind of dumping an acting role on her oh is a bit different. So Jimmy, you know, takes it in stride and is like, hey, like... You know, you should try and be more natural in your delivery. And as he's trying to explain it, Rick cuts him off. And he's just like, you need to breathe. And, like, tries to, like, take a, like, you know, try and show examples of it. Like, taking in air while you are trying to deliver your lines. And the thing about Rick is a lot of his notes are not entirely horrible. But he does not know how to actually educate. And instead is trying to steamroll Terry and not actually give her support. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry, Finch? Oh, no, for sure. I agree. Yeah. Because I I heard an interview with Kevin Conroy, um, who, besides being the voice of Batman, also had a Scottish start in theater and went to Juilliard. Mm -hmm. Juilliard. um, And he's like, you're not memorizing the heartbeats. You're memorizing the breaths. Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like a real... Thing, like real feedback to to actually give somebody um, that's fine okay. um, but yeah it's like a real thing to give but once again he doesn't explain it and so when Terry hears okay now breathe she goes yes son I'm here <laughs> and it's like everyone <laughs> and, and we're all just like Marco. Join me on the dock. I can't even ask you to do that. <laughs> I know, right? And Marco, like, Marco is so confused by it. Like, he gets out of, he, like, his his in-character stance, like, zaps out of him. He's just like, huh? <laughs> he's, like, on the bed. He's like, what is actually happening here? Um, Definitely later in the episode, Jimmy is explaining why, like, that isn't working for Terry. And I think his explanation is, Terry sounds like she's smoking. <laughs> yeah, like he does. But it's true. Like, it's very, like, <gasps> like it's very wheezy and I'm not quite getting it. But, like, it, it's just, like, the way that she does it, it's just very uncomfortable. Um, and Jimmy decides that, you know what, this whole entire thing with Rick around right now is not really uh, working for him. And he's just like, you know what, let's practice, but we'll practice at the dot. Like, let's, let's, change our scenery and let's kind of pick this up later 
Um, and of course, Rick responds negatively to this. He kind of makes a condescending comment about how Jimmy is like a first-time director. What does he know? <laughs> Rick, have you ever directed anything? You're kind of talking out of your ass, buddy. <laughs> yeah, how many how many plays have you put on, Rick? Right? Like, <laughs> the theater is not genetic. <laughs> <laughs> you get a little big for your britches right on your mama's coattails. <laughs> yeah, right? Whatever. I don't mind dunking on him because whatever. Um, but the next scene that we have, um, Rick and Terry are walking around the halls, um, and Rick is asking about Terry's relationship with Jimmy. Um, and, and Terry is just like, you know, I really like him. Like, you know, he's, he's one of my friends. And we've seen Terry and Jimmy within the same crew, not very much dynamic with each other, but they've been within the same crew as long as the series has existed, really. Because... He was dating Ashley, Terry was friends with Ashley, et cetera, et cetera. Like, they have ran in the same circles since day one, pretty much. Yeah, and um, I feel like Jimmy would be as supportive as Paige or anyone would be of, like, Terry's uh, modeling aspirations and whatnot. And also, like, he did have the confidence and the investment enough to make her a lead. Yeah. Like, he, he was not doing anything to push her aside or push her behind or do anything like that. There is a fondness for her that he has that is obvious in the way that he is treating her as a director. But, yeah, we also have to remember, we, we have Hazel in the mix, who Jimmy, like, you know, it's the high school thing of just like, hmm, I want to get show this person I like them, so I'm going to insert them into, like, a role that they might want that will make me closer to them. Mm -hmm. So I'm going, like, you know, if, I'm, if, Jimmy, if Jimmy had his dithers, he would have put Hazel in there because he has a crush on Hazel. Exactly. But, exactly. like, the thing is, like, once there are problems with Terry's, Terry's? Once there are problems with Terry... Jimmy isn't like, okay, well, let's just replace Terry. Mm -hmm. Like, Jimmy wants her to succeed. And I want to believe, to a certain extent, Jimmy wants to do this right because he wants to do right by Marco because he and Marco are, like, the only genuine male friendship in this whole fucking show. It's the solidarity between Jimmy and Marco. Oh, God. They're such good... Well, <laughs> Marco's such a good boy. He's a very good boy. Jimmy's, Jimmy's working on it. Yeah. Jimmy's working on it. Anyway, which brings me to this point where... Terry asserts that she's, like, really happy with Rick. Like, she's friends with Jimmy, but she's really happy with Rick. And then she offers her cheek for him to kiss. And then we see Jimmy staring from, like, a computer lab. Straight up, yes. like, gagging. And I cried. <laughs> it was so funny. <laughs> oh, Jimmy. He still says something like, oh, it's cute. Like, it's their first love. And, 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 like, don't let me know if I'm stepping on any toes, but Jimmy's like, doesn't that guy go to the creeps? Yeah, no, he, like, he straight up says that. And, like, the thing about Hazel is, Hazel obviously was very excited about Terry being in a relationship. Like, she was the one that was very supportive toward Terry and really, really helped her carry through that secret admirer plot to a certain extent. So, I get, <laughs> I get Hazel being like, oh, this is great, this is great. And Jimmy just, like, straight up, like, what the fuck? Which I also really like because I think that 
Jimmy has always consistently had a pretty okay bullshit detector. Whether or not he, like, went followed through with his bullshit detecting, it's always up in the air. But inherently, I think Jimmy... Jimmy does not... The writers really fuck over Jimmy in the sense that... Jimmy actually has a very decent handle of right and wrong. Yeah. Ultimately, has a decent moral compass. It's just the writers have constantly put him on these antagonistic outs and that he keeps getting screwed over. Yeah. What I like about this plot, even though this plot is very painful, is the fact that Jimmy Jimmy's in the right and like can pick up that something is up and he can't necessarily articulate it. Mm-hmm. But he has a creep. He has the feeling that Frick is a creep and is is trying to articulate that even if his his view of it is very limited. It's... And I, I think... Yes, oh, Sorry, Frank. No, please. Yeah. I was just going to say, I think that speaks to his, like, genuine camaraderie and friendship with Terry. Yes. Is that he sees that something's wrong, and it's funny, like you said, like, Hazel's perspective is she's excited for Terry because Terry's in her first relationship, and Jay sees something that, like, he sees, that clearly picks up on his being a lot more sinister. And I think, like, a lot of characters could just brush past that, but he he doesn't drop it. Like, you can tell that he's continuously concerned. And that was really refreshing to see. I feel like those conversations tend to be relegated to female characters when it comes to bringing up issues around relationships. Yeah, that's a very good point. Um, I also feel like it's consistent with Jimmy because he doesn't fucking let anything go. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was just thinking also because... Like, I forget what movie I was watching. <laughs> Dahlia is possessed by a demon and is running around <laughs> screaming. <laughs> um, like, you know, I think the reason Jimmy can't, like, put words to what he thinks is going on is because, like, he's he's just a teen boy. Yeah. Like, yeah. you can't... Th- I forget what show I was watching. It's just, like, somebody was like, you can't... You don't want to think it because it's unthinkable. Exactly. Well, I think that happens with Jimmy a lot. I feel like I I really get the read on Jimmy that he has been educated to a certain extent about stuff. Yeah. He has been prepared for the world and some of the bad shit that can happen in the world and how, like, you should treat people in a way that is okay. But he still has a very limited worldview because he's still a kid. And he's still, like, you know, we, you know, he still has a very, he's still learning shit and he still doesn't know very much yet. So a lot of it is kind of like he's learning about the application of his knowledge right now. And that's Mm. what makes Jimmy kind of interesting as a character. Because we see what happens when a parent, in theory, I mean, we, we don't have very much evidence for this, but in theory, the parent has prepared the kid for the world as best as they can. But then there's still this application aspect that Jimmy it has to work out now. It's like, you've been given the tools, now how are you going to get through this? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but he's like, you know, I think this guy's a creep. And Hazel's like, yeah, he's kind of weird. But, like, you know, I support Terry. And, you know, as this is all happening, Snake comes in. And he's, like, kind of reading through announcements. And Terry takes her seat, and she's just kind of in doodling mode, like kind of doodling Rick's name and heart and shit like that. <laughs> I mean, she does. She, she's she's a baby. I know, but my current knowledge. <laughs> I know, I know, it's hard. Um, 
Meanwhile, at the dot, Rick is explaining the three-fourths rule, which is a for real theater rule. Like, that is a real fucking thing. Like, especially when you're working with younger actors, that's something that you're consistently, like, driving home to them because a lot of them just don't know how to project yet. And it's like, hey, like, you should be facing the audience and things like that. And Jimmy, like, kind of takes the advice, but he's also very irritated that he has to figure out how to make nice with Rick. Because um, another thing about Jimmy is, like, when when you are on his bad side, you are on his bad side. Mm-hmm. And that's it. Okay. It's over. Yeah, Jimmy Jimmy holds a grudge like nobody's business. In this case, he is totally in the right. Yeah. <laughs> sometimes, he's sometimes not so much. Now, yes. Like, so, like, Jimmy has decided, I hate this dude. And now he's just going to, you know, he's trying to grin and bear it, but he's not very good at doing that. Yeah. But, um, so he's just kind of like, Ugh, okay. And then Spinner appears, because Spinner works at the dot, as we established in the B-plot. Um, and, you know, he tries to take orders. And this, of course, is like, you know, a big old red flag when it comes to relationships and unhealthy ones. Because Terry talks about wanting a burger. And Rick does this really, like, you know, this manipulative thing where he's like, yeah, but, you know, weren't you craving a salad? Oh, I think you want a salad. Yeah. And then, like... Marco's like, when has anyone craved a salad? To which I say, <laughs> I will admit me, because what they don't teach you when you grow up is that there comes a time where your body needs vegetables, which I didn't learn until I was like 25. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I, was, I was on vacation last week, and I was just like, eh, I'm going to let my diet slide a little bit. By the end of it, my body was... I went back to work on Saturday, and on my normal uh, lunch is too... Two little, like, yogurts, an apple, and, like, a granola bar. Mm-hmm. And my pa's just like, oh, thank Jesus, nutrients! <laughs> right? Right? It's just like... But Marco, you know, Marco comes from an Italian family and, you know, is used to eating a little bit of salad at the end of his meal and stuff like that. So, like, maybe he's never really had to worry about craving vegetables. <laughs> Sorry. It, it just me wondering whether... Maybe this is me reading too much into it, but part of me was like, sweet, sweet Marco for letting Terry off the hook here. Yeah, I think that's happening, though, because Marco, Marco is a fascinating character. And Finch, if you ever want to, like, backwatch Degrassi, specifically, like, the Marco episodes, I would love to hear your thoughts about it. Because Marco, like, basically the way that gender in Degrassi works is, like, all the women are, all the women and girls are flawed, but overall good people. The boys are shitheads, and Marco straddles the line between the two, um, kind of, like, dipping in and out amongst the two groups. So he's, like, a very mutable character in terms of, like, who he's friends with, who hang- hangs out with, complemented by the fact that he is noted for his femininity, noted for, like, you know, things like that. But he seems to have very, at the very least, alliances, but a lot of the time, deep friendships with a lot of the girls, so it, it, I don't think it's wrong to read it as Marco trying to save Terry out of the situation because while he's not going to be as outwardly aggressive about I don't even think it's really aggressive with Jimmy. Being as outwardly irritated, I think, is more what the word is. Marco is going to try and do things more subtly to try and yeah. diffuse so it, it was a sweet gesture, ultimately one that didn't seem to make a huge difference, but 
I saw that, Marco. I saw what you were doing there. Yeah. The thing, the thing, like, I'm, no, because, like, the, the, what I was thinking, like, just, you know, as somebody who's, like, recently, not come out, like, to everyone, but, like, to several people, like, I'm wondering if just, like, Marco's just, like, now, like, really just knee-deep in the, like, risk aversion I mean, that's also possible, too. I think, I think a thing that happens a lot with, if you are kind of in a situation like that, like, I feel like it is all about de-escalation. Yeah. Like, you're always thinking about de-escalation, especially, like, you know, not for nothing, he's at the dot, Spinner is working there. Spinner yeah. literally, yeah. like, made his life a living hell, wrote his name, you know, Marco is an F slur on a fucking bathroom wall, like, yeah. you know, you're just trying to survive, baby. <laughs> like, yeah, for sure. Um, Only week, of course, on this podcast, we're like, let's analyze and, and talk about Marco <laughs> in one line, because we love him. But um, I mean, we, Until Marco appeared, that's what we do with Phage. It's true. Uh, God, I'm so happy you finally met Marco and that you like him. Oh, like... <laughs> you don't. You have no idea how long, how long I was waiting for you to. Like, I I do because you kept, because all through the early episodes you kept mentioning Marco, 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 <laughs> and it's like Lord, he's coming. I love him. And he's here, and I'm like, oh, thank God. He's such a breath of fresh air. Um, <laughs> in the process of trying to de-escalate this, Rick continues on the salad train but like and he's like really really going he's like not even subtle about it because he's like oh well we could do the most healthiest dressing and i'll order one too look at me i am i am good boyfriend and it's like thanks shithead like (laughs) it's just it's super controlling it's super shitty i should have put it as a content warning as well quite frankly we'll add it to the notes i feel like because it's like because it's just like shitty and and it's also just that thing about food and the fact that this is like your only like your only fat character whose other plot was like being a plus size model secretly yeah yeah like yeah for sure definitely some body shaming going on yeah and and the fucked up thing which i mean it, it unfortunately happens in relationships like this all the time terry characterizes it and directly says like you're always looking out for me yeah, and it's, and it's funny because we see this again later in the episode where, where Rick, I think, brings up, like, oh, I just, like, I don't want you to be embarrassed. I don't want you to be humiliated. And there's just this, like, this classic manipulative abusive behavior where you're framing it as, like, I'm doing you a favor when actually I'm putting you down. Yeah, for sure. It's... Yeah, it just, there's a lot of, I don't know, this is a very ambitious episode when you think about the fact that it's 22 minutes, but it, right, but like, and, but it does do a pretty good job of spotlighting some of those red flags that you as an outsider may see, Mm -hmm. and it, it does, it, it, it functions very well in that sense that I think a lot of these heavier episodes sometimes do really well, which is providing a guide of sorts for youth to be able to be like, how to tell, like, how to potentially identify if a relationship is not healthy. Okay, there's scenes like this happening, there's reactions like this happening, 
And it's it's kind of interesting because you see Jimmy kind of function as a, kind of like a conduit for for mm-hmm. this as well because Jimmy is watching this exchange and he is very uncomfortable by it. Yeah. And he he's he's visibly so. And that's the thing about Jimmy is he he expresses his him being uncomfortable by the dynamic, but it's not always verbal. And that's what I also really appreciate about it is like a lot of it is just straight up on his face in reaction to what is happening. Yeah. Yeah, there was <laughs> I there was a part of me that was tempted. I think if this this episode was a little less intense, I would have been tempted to go back and take a lot of screenshot <laughs> of reaction gifts. Yes. <laughs> There's just so much eye rolling and like disdain on his face. And it's it just like, he's, I, I think for once, and maybe this isn't the case with a lot of Degrassi episodes, I feel like he is very much the audience surrogate in a big way. Yeah. Yeah, and it's 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 nice also because I feel like Jimmy gets othered a whole lot. And we've talked a lot about this, literally like almost every Jimmy episode pretty much, how Jimmy gets the short stick consistently, which is shitty for many reasons, but especially because this is one of your only black boys mm-hmm. in the whole entire ensemble. Um, and we see him have a moment of being a hero in Pride, where he is the one who consoles and supports Marco after Marco gets beaten up. But now this is, I feel like this is what the writers wanted Jimmy to be. If yeah. they were actually able to execute things consistently. A a character who is definitely a protagonist, definitely who we would consider a good kid, but is not always, you know, not always going to behave like you know perfectly he's gonna react wrong he's gonna pull faces he's not going to know when to kind of like you know poker face a situation and i, I really be- gonna be- please continue finch oh, i was gonna say he's gonna be a teen exactly and like i think that is what he's supposed to be i think that is at his core the character that jimmy is supposed to be i'm uh, sorry i missed the word that finch said um it was, um, he's still going to be a teen okay. about it. Yeah, but the thing is also, I think, with, like, with, Mar- uh, with Marco, like, um, Marco wants to de-escalate because Marco doesn't want conflict. Yeah. Dr- uh, nearly called him Drake. Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> we don't do that that much. Um, Jimmy, I feel like, doesn't feel the need to hide his emotions because, like, Jimmy has the strength and the capability if somebody decides to, like, confront him and, like, get violent with him, like, he can hold his own. Exactly. He he doesn't have, he doesn't have that, his perception, whether or not, like, Marco actually has much to lose, like, he, Jimmy doesn't perceive that he has anything to lose, where Marco is constantly feeling like he does. Yeah. So it makes sense, and it's nice to see it fall to Jimmy finally that, you know, it's not him being this antagonistic force without any real purpose. Yeah. Or, you know, stealing his friend's Ritalin. Yeah. Throwback. Oh, Jimmy. Yeah. That was back in season one, baby. They were so young back then. They were. So... I was so young. Now I've aged five years. <laughs> I know. It's been like six months and we're like, I was, well aged. I was 33 last week. Now I'm 38. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway... 
We go back to rehearsal in the next scene, and Terry just is not getting how the three-fourths rule works. She's kind of moving in a way that reminds me a lot of, like, when you're teaching marching band students that they have to face the front. Like, they have to face the front of the field. And so when you turn and shit like that, you have to, like, turn in a way that the top part of your body stays still. Like, that's what it looks like she's, like, trying to do. But she's not, it's not quite clicking. Her movements are very robotic. And Jimmy just is straight up just like, you know, Rick, I need to talk to you. <laughs> like, his reaction to what is happening. Um, and... <laughs> Funny if Jimmy's like, okay, you know what? Here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna Umbrella Academy this shit. Terry, you're a robot now. Done. <laughs> <laughs> right? Just like, we'll figure it out. But, um... That's not really my vision. Marco, we work with what we have. <laughs> <laughs> but, um... <laughs> Jimmy, Jimmy decides to walk over and approach Rick, um, and Jimmy just straight up says, like, hey, like, your tips are getting in the way. Um, and Rick's reaction, which is very irritating and gets under your skin, is that his reaction is, oh, let me talk to Terry. And Jimmy is just like, no. Like, he physically is, like, boxing him out of being able to go toward Terry. And, um, and he's just like, no, like, I'm going to talk to her. Like, you are not. Yeah. Um, which is really intense, and it's, it's, this is, like, the, it's, it's interesting, because I feel like what Jimmy is doing is a very real conflict in a lot of kids' heads, like, if, or people in general, like, adults in general, like, you see a relationship like this play out, and, and you're, like, asking yourself, like, should I physically get involved? Is this something that is going to make things worse? I don't know. Like, I think a lot of people are really out of their depth when it comes to this stuff. And I think that Degrassi is doing a very good job this season with portraying what it's like to be the outsider looking in on these bad situations. And I feel like that's a really good theme that's happening throughout this, whether it's Paige finding out that Ellie is self-harming, whether it's Sean not really being able to handle um, Emma going and her family going through snake having a cancer diagnosis. Like, there are multiple... or. Ellie processing Marco coming out and things like that. I think there are really good moments in which we're really seeing how these characters conceptualize their friends going through shit. Because I think that's a big thing that happens in high school. Like, I had friends going through so much fucked up shit. Like, really fucking bad shit. And it's nice to see teenagers struggling with that information because I think that happens a lot for teenagers and we don't talk about it and we don't give kids enough space. Not only do we not give the kid who's actually going through the trauma the space, but also the kid who is going through the trauma of hearing about it. Um, And it's nice to see a lot of these episodes grapple with this, especially in the case of Jimmy in this episode. Yeah. For sure. So, we, the next time we see the scene, we see them come back in, and the next time we see this plot, Rick is, like, seething about Jimmy. Like, he is fucking angry about Jimmy and is, is yelling about it to Terry. We're, we're in the alley of bad times. Yeah, yeah, we're in the, nothing good has happened in this alley. It's literally been, like, fights. It's been Marco tearfully coming out. It's, like... It's bad. It's a bad fucking place. I mean, yeah. But um, 
So Terry decides to apologize because Terry's in this shitty place where she feels like this is all her fucking fault and my heart is breaking for her. Yeah. Um, and Rick suggests that Terry, like, you know, you don't have to listen to Jimmy. Um, and Terry's like, well, yeah, I do. He's the director. Like, I, I do, actually. Um, and Rick then plants this seed of doubt in Terry's head very well, which is his concern is that Terry might embarrass herself. It's very solid portrayal of the manipulation that can happen in a relationship like this. Yeah. Yeah. It... it there was, this was... This was the... Oh, sorry, I'm just getting weird. Finch? Um, anyways, uh, this was hard to watch because this was classic emotional manipulation. Yeah. It's very solid portrayal of emotional manipulation, which sucks to say. It, it While, like, their, their relationship does lead to physical violence, it does set up a lot of very effective groundwork of the emotional abuse that can happen in a relationship like this and how easy it is to kind of twist things. And that's kind of the thing where so much of this is just Rick twisting it just so. Yeah. It's it's very subtle at times, the amount of twisting that he is doing and sometimes not so much. Yeah. But it's unsettling. Yeah, and I have to say, I did really appreciate that, I mean, as, again, as part of this episode was to watch, that it, the emotional manipulation was included, because I feel like so often the narrative in a lot of teen media around, like, unhealthy relationships and intimate partner violence is physical abuse, and not to say that emotional abuse isn't given importance or isn't like treated as a real issue but I feel like it isn't necessarily portrayed as often and often I think is I can imagine for a teenager thinking that like well I'll never let anyone hit me mm -hmm. but the behavior that Rick is experienced like is like sorry is um his behavior now obviously unacceptable but I feel like sometimes that's a little bit harder to portray or kids don't get the message that that just equally is horrible. Yeah. I mean... Uh, no, go, Frank. Well, I was going to say, like, I think... And that's kind of the problem with, like, when you, we see on TV and movies, like, displays of abuse where it's just, like, every person around them is just like, well, why don't you just leave this person? And, like, we don't show this enough to be like, you don't understand how this person, how the abuser has, like, worn down this person to think, like, you are with me because this is as good as you deserve. Exactly. And yeah. it, it it takes so long to... I feel like, especially because it's, like, physical abuse, it's like, okay, you can identify it, blah, blah, blah. Like, you see it, in yeah. theory. Um, and even, like, and what really irritates me as an educator is a lot of the um, trainings that you go through to identify child abuse, emphasize physical abuse, rarely talks about emotional abuse. If they do, it's very vague and you don't really have a way to identify it. 
And it's scary because there's so many survivors of this type of abuse, both within familial situations, intimate partner situations, except friendship situations, et cetera, et cetera, that don't realize how fucked up it is because they have not seen it or had it discussed to them yeah. in, in any educational setting. And how, like, it's it's just so hard to find, like, it's so hard to find things that definitively frame it as this is what it looks like, this is how it can hurt a person, this is how it can wear down a person. And I, I feel like it's just a conversation that just we keep having, but I have not felt very much progress has really been made from when this episode aired to now it feels like because like the resources i'm getting educated on are like contemporary they're made recently but they still are fucking lacking in it yeah it's frustrating uh, for sure and this it, and this eventually escalates i believe to our first instance of physical abuse from rick I forget why he grabs her wrist. Oh, she tries to walk away, and he grabs her wrist. I think that might be a little later. Oh. Yes. Um, yes, it's later. Because okay. I'll tell you what the trigger is. Um, so the performance happens, and Jimmy is, like, sitting next to Quan, and Quan is, like, kind of watching the, the scene begin to open up. And, you know, Quan is, like, really excited um, and, like, she's, she's, like, you know, teacher excited. She's, like, nodding approvingly, kind of writing some notes. Like, she's pumped on what is happening. Yeah. Which is really sweet. Um. For once, one, some of her students aren't disappointing her. Yeah, right? She's like, yeah, yeah, okay. It's because Spinner's not involved. <laughs> they're not all like Spinner. <laughs> <laughs> they can be creative. So she's like, yeah, 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 okay. Um. And Terry's doing really well, actually. Like, the, there's more of the scene that we're seeing. It's, like, her kind of demanding for, like, you know, to, to see her son and, like, figuring out how to support him and things like that. Really not a cute look seeing Hazel be a nurse. Not into her wearing, like, a kind of pseudo-traditional nurse outfit. Having your, your, you know, a black girl being that character. But Degrassi writers... <laughs> carry no nuance when it comes to race. Yeah. But Terry's doing a pretty good job. And and you know, she she's she's people are enjoying it and like it's it's going well. Um and then um she looks at Rick and Rick is just unhappy. He is radiating stank vibes. He looks miserable. Um and Terry freezes, and as soon as, like, she gets back into the scene, she's back at some of those terrible notes that Rick gave her and didn't really guide her through. So she falls back into, like, a really stilted de delivery and, like, breathing really heavily in the process. And Jimmy just kind of brings his hands to his face. The class is laughing. And... Terry is trying so hard to kind of power through it, but eventually Rick runs off and Rick is just kind of glowering as she's doing that. Um, and Terry runs into the hall and she's crying, which is so sad. Like, she's devastated by this. Yeah. Um, 
and outside, you know, Terry is, uh, Terry and Rick meet up, and they're walking outside, and Terry's, like, talking about the performance, and she specifically says, like, you know, I looked like an idiot because of you. Yeah. And this is, like, you know, one of the times, really, in Terry's whole entire time on Degrassi, we're really seeing her confront someone. Yeah. We've seen her be a mediator. We've seen her be a go-between. We've seen her, seen her be passive as shit. And now we're actually seeing her go, like, look, like, you fucked me over. Which is huge for her. Yeah. And it's a sad shame because she had to be pushed to such a breaking point to do this. Um, yeah. And this is what triggers Rick to grab her wrist he's like very upset hearing it and he grabs her he pulls her arm back and he specifically says and his teeth are gritty he says i don't like that tone of voice it makes me feel stupid and terry begs him to let go and then he does while staring at her yeah it's hard this scene's really hard oh i i don't know how else to put it it's you can kind of see how an abuser in a situation like this where where a survivor or like where where a survivor's trying to confront the person you can see the kind of the death roll that happens that an abuser does which is like you know he's trying to assert his power physically but I think what really did it for me was the, you know, don't talk to me that way. It makes me feel stupid to try and guilt her. Like, that's the part that really, the emotional abuse aspect of that was what really put me personally over the edge. The grabbing the wrist we've seen in media happen a bunch of times before. It's that little zinger of him still trying to verbally make her feel bad that really set me off during it. Yeah. And you can tell just from this episode that Harry is presented as a very empathetic character. Unless I'm getting a wrong read on that. You are 100% correct. She spent literally like the entire second season being a go-between between two of her like best friends. We refer to to Terry as everybody's friend. Yeah. Aw, Terry. Yeah, like, you are not wrong at all in identifying her high empathy. Yeah. When Craig's father, uh, when Craig's abusive father was killed in a car accident, Terry was the one comforting him and saying, and say, like, kind of hitting the nail on the head of, like, he's like, this man was terrible to me, I don't understand why I'm this upset, and Terry was just like, because you love him. And... Yeah, and Terry Terry also lost her mom young. So Terry Terry was making a connection with him as somebody who also has lost a parent. So yeah. it, it, she has extremely high empathy and is an incredibly sweet kid. And it, it sucks because you can kind of see how sweet and naive she is, quite frankly. And how, you know, she has... You know, how you can see how Rick has taken that to his advantage. She reminds me so much. I'm gone. Sorry, I was just going to say, you you can just tell that she has these people-pleasing tendencies that are being so grievously exploited. Exactly. Exactly. I I was going to say, she reminds me so much of Manny. Yeah. 
like they are like they are dangerously similar yeah. in in this sense where they are both idealistic and i think there's there's also there's that constant desire for romance and for attention and to be adored and yeah it's so upsetting because like they both get treated like garbage but in in similar and different ways and they're both very distressing to kind of watch especially in this season yeah. as they both are really struggling with this concept right now yeah but, yeah, like, she's clearly really upset by this happening, um, rightfully so. And it's, like, a very, it's a very upsetting scene to watch. But, um, the next scene that we see them, Terry is getting off the bus, um, and she sees Rick is, um, you know, waiting for her, and she kind of walks. And, of course, he's coming up to her. He's admitting that he flew off the handle. He gives her roses. I mean, when Gwyn was on one of these episodes, we talked a little bit of kind of like the cycle that happens with abuse. And, you know, we're getting to the reconciliation phase. And how is Rick going to reconcile? He's going to get roses similar to the ones that he tried to court her with. He's going to admit that he did wrong. And, you know, hopefully he'll have her come back. And, and she does point out, like, you know, you did more than fly off the handle. Like, you, you did more than just be mad. Like, this was, you know, pretty ridiculous. And Rick is like, yeah, well, you know, I, you know, I'm, you know, maybe I'm jealous of Jimmy. Like, he clearly likes you and stuff like that. And, and she's just very much like, no, we're friends. Like, Jimmy doesn't like me that way. Like, you have no reason to be insecure about Jimmy. Like, we are just friends. Um, and Rick is just like, oh, well, you know, like, it's just you're so beautiful. You're just so great. Like, why wouldn't I be scared of that? And, of course, like, that that kind of pushes her to roast. I, I'm only talking this way because if I don't, like, I'm going to just be upset. Yeah, like, my, my like, left hand is, like... No, no, yeah, yeah, you are. Yeah. I'm so angry. I no, no, he's the worst. But, like, you know, he, he he's gassing her up, and, and that's just, you know, what, what you do, what an abuser does in a reconciliation phase, right? It's just, you know, fluff things up. Make them feel like they mean something to you, even though you're going to treat them like shit. Yeah. Soon. Yeah. Um, so, we go to the, we have another bathroom scene. Uh, Terry walks in, Paige is there, and I believe Hazel's also there. Um, and they are, you know, Paige is kind of curious about the roses, um... And Terry's like, oh, like, you know, Paige is like, oh, like, why, why you got roses? What's going on? And Terry's like, oh, like, you know, there's no reason. Um, and Hazel's like, wow, like, Rick really spoils you. And Paige, Paige is like, man, isn't it great having a rich and romantic boyfriend? That's awesome. And it's just like, Paige. Paige. I, I get it because she doesn't know. It is, and I mean, you know, hey, at least your boyfriend has a job now. <laughs> He's working on it. Oh, God. I wish I didn't. Paige knew. Paige would not let this stand. <laughs> no, but I think also, like, Paige has had her moment to be the ally, right? Like, yeah. she, that's her thing with Ellie. I feel like if you had Paige do it again, it would sound like Paige is the only fucking attentive person <laughs> at Degrassi. 
Um, so I do get yeah. why this role doesn't go to her. Yeah. It, it's, once again, like, I feel like she, she would fucking, you know, be out for blood. Yeah. And I would love to see that, but I can also appreciate the fact that they wanted to give the spotlight to Hazel more in this, because what ends up happening is, um, you know, Paige is like, oh, wow, like, Rick, um, well, she's like, oh, by the way, like, you know, you should come over, let's talk about Rick, and, like, let's talk about, like, you know, your relationship and stuff, and Terry's like, oh, I don't know, I gotta check with Rick, and Paige is like, well, Rick is wrapped around your finger, like, I don't know why you have to ask. Um... Which, once again, this is, she doesn't know the extent. She wasn't in the scenes where we saw some of the, the shit with their relationship. Paige is not in that class or not in that activity. It, it, I'm, I'm not shaking my head at, the, like, yeah. Paige not understanding what's going on. I'm shaking my head at the, like, because this is something I've actually heard from some female folks. Like, I have to ask permission before I do this thing. Yeah. And it's just, like, it always just... Sets off warning bells in my head. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, sure. yeah, no, it's worrisome. And no, like, obviously, like, if if it's a case of like you, you, you know, your 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 partners who live together and things like that, that's one thing. Like, I may check in with Gwyn about something, <laughs> but that's because like we live with each other, and like, you know, do you want to come too? Like, the, the few times. Yeah, there's such a clear distinction between I'm going to check in with my partner about evening plans because we keep like we yeah. keep in touch with one another and then the very real fear of I need to check with my partner because me having relationships with people other than him or them or whatever is a problem and is something that could cause conflict that I want to avoid. Exactly, yeah. exactly. It's not like, oh, I don't want a double book. It's, oh, I don't want my boyfriend to be pissed off at me. Yeah. Um, so, he, like, you know, Paige, Paige kind of leaves it, I almost said Paisel. I guess that's their ship name. Um, <laughs> I mean, Papelli is the Paige LA ship. There we go. Um, <laughs> but, like, Hazel is, kind of watches as Paige just kind of walks off and she just kind of looks at Terry's wrist, and she notes the bruises. Um, and, and Terry blames it on a volleyball serve, but, you know, Hazel... Now now, now the gears are beginning to turn for Hazel as well. Yeah, because, like, Hazel isn't dumb, and, like, what volleyball leaves three concentric stripes on somebody's arm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I think that's another sport that Kendra does. I think you're right. So there we go. Add it to the list. Um, this but, is the, I'm also gonna start calling this the bathroom of discoveries. It really is though. Like so much happens in this bathroom. Like which I mean does happen when you work in school. Like like the girls' bathroom is a a, a, a fascinating place. Um, but it it is it is definitely a, a go to spot of this type of drama for yeah. for Degrassi. Um, Terry then eventually asks Rick if she can hang with Hazel and Paige, and Rick is just like, well, why? Like, you know, like, is, is, like, you know, if you're doing this with only them, um, you know, is it, you're, are you just gonna, like, talk about him, or are you gonna pick up guys? Like, you know, that kind of accusatory shit. And, and Terry jumps to, like, you know, saying that he's being crazy, and that, mm, then that, you know, he slaps her in response to that. And 
he he hits her. He's like, he, he then says, like, you know, don't ever call me that again. And Terry ends up being, like, you know, like, her lip starts bleeding from it. Um, and then he, you know, he, he apologizes because, you know, oh, no, you left, you really left a mark now, dude. Yeah. And it's, it's rough because it's like, there is this aspect of this, especially looking back on these two scenes where, like, the, the writers have kind of put themselves in a slightly dangerous hole in the sense that the both times that Rick was triggered to hit Terry or hurt Terry were because of, like, ableist comments, which is kind of a dangerous thing to also be in. Because now you're beginning to make this implication here that I don't think the writer Once again, I don't think the writers intended on, but we haven't really talked mental illness explicitly mm. in the show yet of our yeah. main cast. Like, we've seen characters... Like, we've seen... I feel like the most we've really seen is Craig and him processing his trauma. But for the most part, we haven't really seen characters experiencing things with, like, you know, a capital D depression, a capital A anxiety, like, you know, or other, you know, personality disorders, mood disorders, things like that. So we are kind of, the writers are kind of opening up a potentially dangerous implication here where the one, you know, the only time we're really explicitly looking at a character behaving in a way that may need, require some sort of like, mental health support is within the context of an abuser. Yeah, it, uh, it sucks. That's obviously. Yeah. It's, it's a rough one. And, and, you know, I, I know that there will be characters that are dealing with mental illness down the pipeline. I'm intrigued to kind of analyze them within the context of this podcast, but it is kind of rough that, you know, we are having this happen. Not to say that that means Terry deserves what is happening to her. It's more the deeper, the, the like, kind of the subtext that's kind of happening here, whether intentionally or not. I forget the name of Emma's father, Sean. Not Sean. Um, fuck. I know what you're talking about. I mean, he, you know, he, um, Shane. Shane, Shane thank you. Sorry, Shane. Um. I mean, he, he has... He has like it's a hard one too because yeah. it's a it's a traumatic brain injury. Yeah. And like he definitely has like, you know, issues with anxiety, depression, things like that. But once again, he's someone who who, who reacts violently. Yeah. And that's another another implication that's also dangerous we talked about, especially within the context of TBIs and like, you know, a lot of media jumps to the violent. Like to have a TBI is to be violent type of implication and it's a bit of a it's a big ol' yikes and and you know once again it's not to say that rick isn't a shithead he is a shithead yeah it's just worrisome in a grander sense of the show yeah yeah but um he he hits her he draws blood um and the next scene we have is Terry in the in Paige's garden with Paige and Hazel. 
Um, Terry's like kind of talking about the romantic dinner that she had with Rick. Um, Paige is like, oh, that sounds so cute. And she kind of walks away to refill snacks. Um, and Hazel then takes that time in isolation to kind of check in on Terry to ask like, you know, are there any issues happening? Um, are you fighting? And Terry swears that they don't fight aside from like when she makes Rick mad because he's sensitive. Which furthers this thing that I was talking about here. This, yeah. this implication here. Yeah. Um, and then Hazel then notices Terry's lip. And Terry's just like, oh, it's a gross cold sore. Um, and Hazel's just kind of like, okay, like, you know, you, you will tell me if you were getting hurt, right? Like, you would let me know. You would trust me with that information. Uh, and then Terry's reaction to it is just like, you know, oh, like, you know, you're just jealous because, like, I have found love and you have not. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't... Oh. And this is like the same thing Ashley said to Terry many, like a season or so ago. Yep. 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 I wonder how intentional that was. No, probably not at all. Probably not at all, but it does set a pretty good. Yeah, that's giving them too much credit. <laughs> I'm trying oh to analyze this, but I just see Dahlia's eyes like just over the table and her little ears. She's comforting me in this moment. She is. She's very good at that. She's um, an angel. It's... Yeah. Um. It's rough. It's rough because it... It it, it really kind of sets up how, how you end up in a, a... Like, if you are emotionally abused, you really end up in a bit of a... A cage, almost. Like that it, it really warps your perception of what is going on. You really think that this is the best that you can get. Mm. And that's the part that and, is so sad. Yeah. I think, again, like, it, that is such a classic behavior, defending your partner's behavior. Yeah. Because, I mean, it also is like... You're defending yourself to a certain extent. It's like you yeah. don't like you know. I don't you. I don't want you to think my partner is a shithead because I don't want you to think I'm a shithead. Mm. Exactly. But it's it's rough. Um, and then the next time, next scene we see, it's Terry seeing Rick in that alley of fucking doom. Um, <laughs> and Rick is like, oh, like you know, I just wanted to say that I love you. Um. And Terry's like, you know, I just want to be left alone. I had a fight with Hazel. And Rick is just makes a makes a snide remark how he's not not surprised. And he's, he's like, well, maybe you should only see Hazel and Paige at school. Which, you know, is... Um, it, sorry. It's a big red flag. It's isolation. Yeah. I will... I will take away any support system we have, making me your only lifeline. And then I will abuse you, reconcile, and... It'll become a cycle. Yeah, and, like, you can tell that he really zooms into that moment of weakness. Of, And, it, it, you know, it's a way to frame it. Like, oh, like, they're treating you like shit. You shouldn't spend time with them. Yeah. It, yeah. I, I, what I do appreciate, I hate saying I like about this episode. What I do appreciate about this episode is that it, it shows the opportunities to have this dialogue happen. Because I think that we, you know, a lot of kids, when they learn about 
unhealthy relationship dynamics they hear like one of the first things you learn about is like isolation and being removed from groups and I think that a lot of the time we don't see how it happens in that training it's just if you notice that your friend is not hanging out with you as much anymore then that's a red flag we don't really see how it's able to be implemented and this gives you a pretty good idea of the opportunities that can open up especially if you're in a tense romantic relationship and how then the abuser can come in and manipulate the information. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, so, you know, Terry's reaction to it is like, you know, I just need to think about things, and and Rick is like, you know, is it about me leaving you? Is, like, is it about you leaving me? And Terry says, like, you know, I, like, you know, I'm suffocated. Like, I feel suffocated, which is a really good way of describing being in a relationship like this. And his reaction to it is shoving her. Ugh. Yeah. And then Terry says, that's the last time you're going to touch me. <laughs> and, like, I remember at the mo at that time, I just, like, I think I was alone, but I still went, fuck yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, it's just, she's had a very rough, it's like been like, what, like three days? It's been like fucking nightmare, which makes you wonder how shitty it was before we saw it. Yeah. It's just, I don't know. But it does show how rapid these cycles can be. Like, they're not super extended sometimes. And in the case of this, when it's very easy to kind of set him off, like, mm -hmm. it, it just, we see a rapid cycling happen, basically. Yeah. Which is really hard to, to watch a character experience, but it does kind of show how exhausting it can be being in a relationship like this and how a lot of your other relationships will suffer because of it. Yeah. And then we cut um, to school the next day. Yep. Jimmy is, once again, being the best boy. And says, um, if he comes near you again, let me know. And I'm just like, ah, Jimmy, <laughs> thank God. <laughs> right? Like, yeah, like, he's being very sweet. And once again, I think this is what we, what the writers want you to think Jimmy is. Yeah. I think this is what they want him to be, like, kind of this, this, like, a loving jock. This kind of rough and tumble boy who, you know, loves sports and may be a little boneheaded at times, but overall has a heart of gold. Yeah. I really think this is what the writers want you to think of, Jimmy. I think this is literally the third episode, because Pride was a two-parter. I think this is literally, like, the third episode we really see him be that. Mm -hmm. But this feels like a culmination of, like, what, what we want. We want Jimmy to be, but also what the writers want you to think Jimmy is. Yeah. This is Jimmy when Jimmy's written well. Yes, like yeah. in the right hands, this is what Jimmy can be. And it makes me upset because I can see how many missed opportunities were, you know, three seasons, almost three seasons prior to this. Yeah, like we had him, his mentorship of Toby, which I really liked. Mm -hmm. um, and then like when at, like him and Ashley are unsure if they want to have sex, he didn't pressure her. Yep. Like, and then it's just, like, a cavalcade of bullshit moves. Mm -hmm. But, like, finally he's, like, coming back to becoming the true Jimmy. Yeah. 
Jimmy. Jimmy, yeah. Jimmy we knew he Yeah, exactly. Um, so Terry then meets up with Hazel. She's walking with Hazel. And she specifically says, like, I feel stupid. Like, I, I feel stupid that this happened to me. And Hazel's just like, it was your first love. Like, don't feel bad because of that. Which is a very sweet kind of thing to say. Like, you know, it, it's, it's you, you were in a situation you thought it was okay. It wasn't. That doesn't make you an idiot for thinking that. Like, we saw how this dude just kind of goes in for the fucking kill whenever he had a chance to, emotionally and physically. Like, you know, it's nothing to be... It, it hurts, obviously, but it's nothing to make you... F to consider yourself stupid over. Yeah. And I appreciate Hazel trying to de-escalate it that way. It's, it's kind of like that scene from Goodwill Hunting, the it's not your fault scene. Yeah. But, like, I feel like actually done kind of better. Yeah. Because, like, Hazel's just <laughs> being subtle about it. Yeah, exactly. Um, she's been in your lap for a while. Oh, and it touches on... Sorry. Miss Dahlia is just, like, a total cuddle bug right now, trying to help us through this episode. Well, she's trying to get yours before, but... I know. <laughs> um, I'm sorry, what were you going to say, Finch? Uh, I was just going to say... It touches on something, but... <laughs> I, I gotta say, like, this episode ambitious in the scope of which it tries to tackle not only what an abusive relationship like but also its ramifications afterward and yeah. obviously this conversation is maybe like a minute tops but just like obviously terry is a sweetheart and we only did think of her but to have her express that she feels like guilt or responsibility for it is like again like another really really classic results of, of abuse and like just to have that like included and addressed really meant thing to me you know in a way that I wasn't expecting like I, I found that to be like actually really powerful I, I think it gives her a chance to have uh, like I, I feel like I guess autonomy or something like I feel like the person who is who is the survivor of abuse, at least within the context of, like, visual media portrayals of it. I feel like a lot of the time they're, they have, like, no agency as a character. Like, not even in the sense that they are being abused, but in the sense that in the function of the narrative, they rarely, if ever, really get to speak for themselves as an autonomous being. It's almost like you are outside looking in and you are watching this character get emotionally and physically wailed on. And that's it. They don't really get yeah, to express sure. how they feel. They don't really get to express. Like, they're just getting everything thrown on them, and we never get to see anything but that. It's, like, relentless, I feel like, when a lot of these abuse plots happen. Yeah. And I think that's what makes this episode worthwhile, in a sense, because it does give her that moment to kind of express that. Because, like, I feel like that's a sentiment that if you talk to pretty much every survivor that thought, that idea crosses their mind of, like, you know, I'm an idiot, I'm stupid, how did I let myself get into this situation? I deserve it. Like, all of those kind of sentiments happen consistently in abuse if you talk to, a, to survivors of abuse. So to have her have that moment where she says that is so important. 
because it's not only relatable to people who have gone through it, but also gives her agency after this, after we spent so much time watching her get wailed on by Rick. Yeah, she, um, it gives her an opening to start unpacking, um, and undoing the work, the, like, the terrible things that Rick has done to her self-esteem. Exactly, and I think what's also kind of exemplifies this is the fact that after she says that, she also says, like, I still care about him. Yeah. And, and I think that was a really important thing to have because not only does it show how her sense of self now has to be rebuilt from this relationship, but also, you know, it, it your feelings don't just shut off because you've identified that this person has hurt you. You're, you know, you may have very complicated feelings toward this person and you may have love toward that person. And that is not an abnormal like feeling during a situation like this and you know it's a very ambitious episode they didn't cover everything maybe at the length that you know other media may be able to but I feel like those two that exchange is very effective <laughs> the only like the only thing that would have made this ending better if Craig came zipping over. He's like, I heard what happened. Want to go talk? Yeah, right. Like, that would have been kind of like a like a call and response to what he had gone through. Um, yeah. But the way the episode ends is Terry arrives at her locker, finds a rose there. We look over and see Rick being a shithead standing mm-hmm. at the door um, and Terry takes the rose and then drops on the ground. I forget what exactly she says. I don't have it written down, but um, she steps, she fucking steps on that rose. <laughs> I want her to like, it's like sorry. Early in the last 30 seconds of the show, which like the writers really wanted to just cram everything in here. And I mean, to their credit, they absolutely did. Mm-hmm. They really did. I wanted her to like put the rose, like take the rose, chew it up, and then spit it in his face. <laughs> nice. That would have been good. That would have been real good. I mean, I'll I'll settle for her stepping on the rose. So and freeze frame, and we are out. Yeah. Yeah. So after a very rough fucking a plot and a. B plot I wasn't around for a lot of the analysis of. Uh, what do we rate this episode? I'm gonna give it an A minus. The thing that brought it down the two add-ons to grades, whatever the modifiers mm-hmm. is the B plot because like the B plot, I I just did not enjoy watching these boys be awful. Yeah. And oh, honey. There we go. <laughs> she her back legs were in the hole of my legs, and then she couldn't work her way out. So, oh, dolly! Oh. <laughs> Good news, she loves you. Bad news, <laughs> she is very clumsy. Yeah, she is a very clumsy girl. Anyway, um, because like, no, <laughs> like. Finch, I think you were saying it like when we were discussing the uh, B plot. Like Spinner is showing the same jealous tendencies that 
Um, Rick is, but we're not going to address them. It's just like, oh, he's going to have, like, problems with JT. And it's just like, it's not great there either. Mm-hmm. Like, jealousy is an ugly emotion and, like, needs to be addressed. Like... So, yeah, um, but the A-plot is just handled so well, I can't, like, take this episode down that far. Like, because they were able to do everything in just, like, a short period of time. Yeah. Okay, my leg is falling asleep. Oh. I'm sorry, honey. Honey. Come here. Um, so that leads us to, uh, Finch, do you have a rating for the episode? A rating? Oh, boy. Um, A plus for Marco's theatricality. Excellent. (laughs) Um, maybe D minus for possessiveness played for laughs. But I, you know what, I've got to agree with Frank, but anything in A- is a solid grade for this episode altogether. <laughs> Sounds good to me. Um, now we'll go to character rankings. Rick is dead to me. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. I don't give a shit what else he does in this season, in this show. He is never coming back, <laughs> like, from where he is. That's valid. Like, we've had some shitty dudes before. Oh, no, he's gonna go hang out with the pedophile, that one dude from the mall who now looks quaint in, like, retrospect. Right. Dean. Dean. Ugh. Yeah, there's a lot of shit-headed men that are in the present. So, for those who've read Dante's Inferno, at this point, the pedophile, Dean, and Rick are now the three in Satan's mouth. Ugh. Um, Oh, God. So, all of them are terrible. Yes. Uh, Terry on the rise for taking a stand, um, which is a very hard thing to do. Um, Hazel for being there for her friend, also on the rise. Paige, you're going actually down a few uh, levels for not, like, dealing with these dumb boys and their stupid bullshit. Mm -hmm. Um, And I know it's not her job, but, like, if she could just... And I know we've been, like, trying to, like give her an out for not dealing with, like, um, Spinner's homophobia. Mm-hmm. But, like, it's the same... It's not a good look. Yeah, I'm, No, it's I'm, not a good look. I'm trying so hard to give her the benefit of the doubt, but it's just, like, there comes a breaking point where, like, these idiots are just working so, like, just terribly. Mm-hmm. Um, Manny, stay where she is. I mean, all she did was get grossed out by farts. J like Spinner and J- JT for <laughs> Spinner and JT just for um their stupid prank war. Um like Spinner's going they're both going down, but JT's going down farther because um he took it too far. Like getting somebody demoted at their job. That's like, pretty fucking low. Yeah. So, um, let's see, who else? Quan and, Quan and Radish for dealing with their bullshit. Also on the rise a little bit. Um, Jimmy, 
oh boy, like, you are just getting to fucking page levels over these last few episodes. Like, after Pride and now this, like, just being such a good boy. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, is that it? Have I forgotten anyone? Did you rank Marco? Oh, well, Marco's always perfect. Aw, that's my son. <laughs> like, he will... Mark, Marco's done nothing wrong. I've gotten old enough that Marco has become my son. <laughs> gotcha. Um, Finch, do you have any character rankings you would like to contribute? Uh, no, I feel like those are all very apt. Um, again, I think Marco was the bright spot in this episode for me. <laughs> Having him in that hospital bed. Mama. Mama. <laughs> Mama. So that, that, that brought a spouse to my face. Oh, of course he was going Bonus through a queen phase. He was in high school. He was a gay boy in high school. Of course he went through a queen phase. And now I know why Rick, yeah. now I know why Rick is running in that Drake video. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. Keep running. Right. Um... So let's move on to recommendations. This is where we recommend things that are either um, related to a lot of the content in the episode or just things that we are enjoying. Um, I found this episode to be actually a pretty decent tool in showing especially emotional abuse where I feel like it doesn't always, like a lot of media doesn't always nail. Um, so I think to a certain extent this episode is not a bad one, especially like I feel like because a lot of Degrassi episodes sound like they're used in health class and stuff like that. I could see this episode being used in health class to kind of help, um, articulate like unhealthy relationship dynamics and things like that. So I, I think that this episode still holds up pretty well. Um, so I, I, I don't think it's the worst portrayal of intimate partner violence, and I would argue it has some really right moments, even if it hurts. Yeah. Um, that said, yeah. I will give a recommendation um, of a short story. It's called Portland, Oregon. It's by Casey Plett. It's uh, from her short story collection called A Safe Girl to Love. Um, it's a story about a unhealthy relationship dynamic between... A, um, a cat that is pretty sentient and his owner. And a lot of it is about how she is kind of trying her best, but she's still not a good cat owner and has been neglecting him quite a bit. But the way that he tries to rationalize staying in the home and not just running away and things like that. So... If you kind of want to explore that more emotional aspect of an uh, unhealthy relationship dynamic and you want to read a fiction in which a cat can actually speak full dialogue, it might be something that you are interested in. I don't want to read that at all. That's okay. <laughs> I'm just saying it's something you can read. It's a very good book. And I know for a fact that it's available online from the author as an ebook download too. If yeah. Makes a difference to any of your Yeah, there's some really good short stories in that collection, um, which I really recommend. And um, if it is something like you know, if you are want to read trans lit, this is a trans woman writing trans feminine characters. So um, it also has that aspect to it, which is definitely makes it a worthwhile collection to check out. But uh, there's some really good stories in it. This one is a really strong one in it as well. Mm. Finch, would you like to give your recommendation? 
yeah, I actually really would. Um, so I have to admit that I step back from this particular brand of these narratives. Understandable. Um, so with that in mind, my recommendation is a YA book, a Canadian YA book published in 2000 called A Complicated Kindness by Marianne Taves. Hmm. Um, Interesting. And this is a book that I feel like really holds up that I read in high school and again as an adult. And it centers around a um, coming-of-age novel of a 16-year-old growing up in a small, incredibly religious Mennonite town in rural Manitoba. And what it does so well, in addition to telling this very uniquely Canadian prairie story, it how it, it deals with this kid trying to come to terms with life in the wake of some pretty grievous trauma. And as grim as it sounds, how she deals with it with such grace and such humor, and also with a lot of, um, how do I describe it? I feel like this book really touches on the ways that kids and adults deal with trauma in ways that we don't quite understand ourselves. Nice. It's heartbreaking and beautiful. And if you want some can look that came out around the same time as this particular season of Degrassi, I could not recommend I have to check that out. I haven't heard of it yet, so I'll have to give it a read. Thank you for the recommendation, Finch. Oh, thanks for asking. Um, I don't really have anything in the same vein to recommend. Um... So I just want to give an advert. I just want to uh, recommend the Double Life of Miranda Turner. It's just a comic I've been reading recently that I really like. It's about a um, no. <laughs> um, it's about you've got to tell people that you're handling Dahlia when you say that, even though I guess it's kind of obvious. <laughs> Um, if you hear kissy noises, because I'm holding Dahlia. Oh, look at you. Um, it's about a... This young woman was a superhero. Uh, she got killed, became a ghost, and now she's she's hanging out with her sister, who is now... Who's taken up the mantle. And they're trying to solve her murder while also still being uh, the same superhero. Interesting. It's very well written and very well drawn, and I just enjoyed the first volume. So nice. Sweet. Let's just give me a look. Oh, she's so cute. I can't. I wish this was a visual media, <laughs> and it would just be a close-up of Dahlia for the whole two and a half hours. Oh my god! I have an idea to, to tell you off the um, off the thing. Awesome. So, um, <laughs> with that said, everybody, Finch. You've made it through. <laughs> yes, yes, I have. Thank you for having me. Oh, thank yeah, you so uh, much for being on. Oh, uh, yeah, she got no, overstimulated. Um, Little bitey. <laughs> she, she'll she'll normalize. She'll stabilize now that mom is back. Now that both moms are back, <laughs> all is okay. She'll she'll get over it. But um, 
Thank you so much for making it through, Finch, and let's also yell into the ether for Mars for making it through as well. Um, are there ways that people can keep in touch with you, Finch? <laughs> Gosh. Um, to be honest, I gotta say, I want social media all that often. I guess when I am, it's on Twitter. My Twitter handle is Vaniloquent. B-A-N-I-Q-U-E-N-T, which means to speak officially. Nice. Um, <laughs> That's all. Thanks so much. No problem. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, if you... Yeah, it was a real pleasure. Yay! Um, if you, listeners, are interested in potentially appearing on the show, you can email us at ihopepod at gmail.com. Feel free to tell us some of your credentials as well as any episodes you'd be interested in going on or if you just generally just want to be on when a character is featured or just whenever you need us to. Um, it is a lot of fun to have different guests on here. We legitimately have a blast and it really has made our enjoyment of recording the podcast like go up tremendously yeah. <laughs> like it's really helped not that we don't like each other but sometimes an episode is really bad and it's easy to get into the hole if you don't have somebody to balance you out yeah um so if you're interested in doing that feel free to email us just remember that we do work with a slight queue so if you have any episodes that are coming up pretty soon please message us as soon as possible if you would like to also send any audio files or um, any text about how Degrassi, a character, a season, an episode have impacted you, please do not hesitate to email them to us as well and we will play them or read them on air. If you'd like to keep in touch with us on social media, you can do that a couple ways. You can follow us on Twitter at I Hope Pod. You can also uh, join our Facebook group at I Hope I Can Make It Through Podcast. If you want to try and find ways to support the show, there are two ways you can do that. Number one, you can send us a coffee. All coffees go toward uh, tech upgrades as well as compensating our guests for the time that they take to be on the show. Because um, they are marathon recording sessions, <laughs> let me tell you. Um, also, you can join our rating challenge where we are challenging you, the listeners, to leave reviews for our show, ratings and reviews, once we hit 20. We are going to go back into the Degrassi archives and check out some original Degrassi junior high, Degrassi high school um, media episodes. Um, media, I mean, we could look at media. There are some books and stuff. And as well as episodes. I own some now. <laughs> yeah, well, no, there's old school books that I found. Oh, yeah. I remember those. Yeah, like, I kind of want to buy some of them because I found them for dirt cheap. So we can also do that. Uh, um, no. <laughs> Dahlia wants to be part of the podcast really badly um, but yeah so if you want to check uh, check out some extra content for free um, as a thank you for that please do not hesitate to leave us ratings and reviews um, if you want to keep in touch with me on social media you can talk to me on twitter at DM is unbreakable um, I don't have a twitter but you can hit up my other podcast teen girl talk it's all kinds of teen media, um, and it's much more, it's irreverent and loud with my sister. Um, and I have a YouTube channel where I'm going to be posting, like, videos and stuff. Right now it's just one creepypasta, but that will change out, Dahlia! <laughs> <laughs> Stop biting me, please. <laughs> Not seem to care. No. Uh, I'm sorry, Frank. That's fine. She's overstimulated. <laughs> she doesn't know 
what to do. Um, anyway, that being said, we hope we can make keep making it through without Dahlia biting us. We hope you could be there with us. Oh, she's on my back! Until next <laughs> week, everybody! Bye! <laughs> Damn it! You're trying to remember Why you cut all your hair Were you trying to be someone you weren't? You don't hang around The old hearts anymore no, all of those bridges are burned He doesn't like to share you He likes your hair short You're not you, you're not you anymore You're not you, you're not you anymore